Hello everyone and welcome to the funniest, most timely, most well-informed gaming podcast on the entire internet. It's The Super Show. I'm your host for this week, Jamie, and joining me, I'm very glad to be able to say, is my good friend Alex Jones. How are you, sir? I am good. I was just thinking, you know, then when you said most well-informed, I was like, it's easy to be well-informed when there's no news. (laughs) Because then you... To know nothing is to know everything. Exactly. When there's absolutely nothing happening in the games industry apart from vague headlines that we can't really discuss, technically, <laughs> we simultaneously know everything and nothing, just like James Bond. Uh, Chris, he can't be here this week. He said to us earlier that he's completely lost his voice, and uh, despite offering his services as a mime, which I personally would have loved, we thought that would create too much disparity between the audio and the video versions of this podcast. And we don't want to isolate any audiences, do we? No, we don't. I don't think it's true, though. I don't think there's anything wrong with his voice. I think what's actually happened is Elon is summoning back all of the South Africans to get them together for the, uh, the coming takeover. Because he started with Twitter, but he's congregating all of the South Africans together and they're going to just take over every, every tech company that exists. Okay, so so that's the plan, right? You you buy Twitter first, and then you, you know, all hands on deck. You herd up all the South Africans, and how does gathering up all the South Africans on planet Earth factor into Elon's plans for tech world domination? Because no one messes with a South African. You'd be really stupid to mess with a South African. You put them. You just need one in each company, and they just look at you and go, "Don't do it, bro. I will mess you up." And then you go, "You will." You're from South Africa. I'm not messing with you. And then you do whatever you're told. Do you know what? Actually, I was going to disagree with you that I remember Chris was my manager for a number of years. And that was exactly the kind of workplace dynamic that we <laughs> not just strived for, but also achieved. Um, yeah, Twitter, so that's, right? That's what it is. It's, you know what? It's been interesting. I don't know if it's the same for you, Jonesy, in terms of the kind of Twitter ecosystem you've fallen into by way of your followers and the people that follow you. But the reaction to to Elon's um, finagling and his meddling has been interesting, to say the least. Uh, it has. It's been it's been juicy. I love I love a bit of um, sort of I don't even know what you call it like fighting, infighting, some like rumbling online, and it's and it's given us a lot of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely given us that. There are weird goings on. My Twitter, I swear, went really strange a couple of days ago, and it mm. was like all the sorts of things I usually see on there just disappeared. And I had all weird, like there was loads of sudden, loads more adverts, loads more kind of mainstream stuff. A lot of the politics stuff went, and I did wonder if it was because people had, um, people were kind of like having a break. They were like, um, I just need a rest. <laughs> so they just stopped, um, stopped tweeting. Maybe. I never started tweeting. I find that's the easiest way to wean yourself off it. Although maybe it has been funny. Like I follow, well, I was about to say I follow someone. That's the thing. I don't follow them. Their tweets just endlessly show up on my timeline because apparently that's the way that fucking website and app works. It was a, a journalist who writes for Vice who wrote an article about Oscar Isaac because that's what these people make a living doing apparently nowadays. And I looked at her Twitter because she had a post that I don't know if it had gone semi-viral or if the algorithm just wanted me to see it. But she was like, I'm done with this platform. I can't stay here with this, you know, this tyrant at the helm. And she was like, I'm banning, banning and blocking access to Twitter on a system level. You'll never see me again. And I clicked on her profile. And about 30 to 45 minutes after that, she was having an argument with someone who was criticizing her article about Oscar Isaac, which for me was kind of that reaction to Twitter going away in a nutshell. Like, I don't think anyone's actually going to go anywhere. It's... Having so we've worked for a company that was bought out by 
a very um, well-known right-wing person slash organization. Right, um, yes. Being uh, Rupert, what's his name? Rupert Murdoch. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember when that happened, genuinely some people at our company got a little bit nervous about what was going to happen and whether they were going to let us or whether there was going to be any kind of influence on the content that we were making. Um, none of it came to fruition. They didn't give a toss about what we were making. As long as we were getting views and making money, they yeah. did not care. And we put out some proper, like, v- very lefty stuff. Because we're a media company. That's what yeah. you do, right? You don't, you don't put out, like, right-wing propaganda when you're a media company. Um, yeah, and they, they didn't care. Like, they gen- there was never a meeting. Mr. Big never came in and went, Oh, you need to uh, you need to talk more about. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what they like to talk about, um, but there was no influence on any level. So I don't think I don't think Elon's going to make any difference. That was until those aforementioned views and the associated money went out of the window, and then there were a lot more conversations about um, what was going to happen and how everything was going to play out. Yeah, oh, um, d- actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe um, maybe there was there wasn't that they wanted us to keep getting views. Maybe it was that they just wanted to put us out of business. Yeah. <laughs> and then they successfully did that. That's what they were doing. They were just going around buying liberal media companies and shutting them down. Sh- yeah, sh- shutting them down by letting them run themselves into the ground. But yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about um, Elon's messing with Twitter too much because he, he won't, A, he got, we won't be bothered. It's too big. Imagine how much you'd have to do to actually like, you know, make a big difference on the platform the people on the platform the people on the platform yeah i don't think that's really going to change so i think people need to maybe calm down a little bit well jonesy it's always a big and interesting talking point when big acquisitions are going down and people get to speculate about what's going to happen to the business in the future and how things might or might not change and of course it's not just elon musk and twitter that's happening all the time in the games industry and we're going to be talking a little bit about some of that uh talking about the potential likelihood, um, or maybe even the faltering likelihood, of uh, Activision Blizzard's acquisition at the hands of Microsoft going through. We're also going to use that as a little opportunity to talk about things like Overwatch 2, which is making uh, headlines this week as a result of its beta, uh, Modern Warfare 2, where there's been a few updates, and a few other bits and pieces. We're going to talk about Microsoft's uh, big E3-style showcase in June and what we can and maybe cannot expect Because this is a place, after all, where we talk about video games. And we do so for you, wherever you are watching and or listening to us. You might be doing it on YouTube, in which case, hello, I can see you, you can see me. That's right, this is a two-way camera. Don't ask me how it works. There's also a comment section down below. You can head down there. You can say just about anything. Some things might be blocked or censored, or me might have to manually approve it. But I'm going to give you almost carte blanche. I'm going to say no racism, please. But otherwise... Just go crazy. The knife versus bat debate last week, great stuff. More of that. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Super Show Pods, the handle to do that. Again, reach out, ask a question, see what we have to say if we actually bother responding. It's a 50 50 shot. Um, podcasting platforms. Hey, they exist too, right, Jonesy? They do. Spotify, iTunes, Google many. Podcasts, and many, many more. You can listen to this on all of them. You may already be doing so. And of course, finally, last but not least, we have to give a mention to paisleyradio.com, the home of all things digital radio. If you head over there at Thursdays at 10 p.m., you can catch this very podcast being beamed out sort of live to your ears. It's not live for us, but it'll be live for you. That sounds like a fun way to hear about video games being discussed. I don't know about you, Jonesy, but that sounds like a Thursday night to me. I love the idea 
that some little fella or little lady is sitting there in Paisley putting their radio on, but their internet radio. It's not yes. their radio radio. And they're like working on their car or something. They're changing the, uh, what do you do with a car? They're fixing the carburetor. They're changing the transmission. They're, they're changing the oil. And they've just got us playing out. You just gave me like a really weird hankering for something that probably exists, but it's like a digital radio that emulates the audio experience of old-timey radio. So like right. it has an aerial that doesn't do anything and adds static and crackly noises and every now and then it gets all fuzzy. It's like, nah, it's still just been broadcast over the internet, but we wanted to make it feel like the fucking 1930s when they didn't have television everyone sat around the radio because there was nothing else to do with their sad little lives. Oh, I like that. Sounds great. Like It looks like an oldie-timey radio. That's wicked. Yeah, I'd love that. Maybe there's a little screen hidden and you take the cover off and then you use a touch screen where you can actually go online, put your show on and then cover it back up again. People are like, oh, he's got an oldie-worldie radio. Exactly. I like it. This is the kind of thing that we're going to talk about now. Come out of this podcast, realise it doesn't exist, but now we've spoken about it publicly, someone else is going to steal it. And I think Peaswad will probably be on, um, what's it called, Shark Tank in the US inside the next maybe six to 12 months, pitching the old-timey radio. Do you know what? This already happened to me. What, someone stole one of your ideas and went on a TV show with it? No, Actually, not, a, not, a t- not a TV uh, show. Okay. They, they really stole my idea. They stole my idea and they made millions and millions of dollars. Hang on. Okay, you're, but you're going to need to clarify this very carefully because <laughs> this is extremely curious. Right. Oh, it's okay. So it, the year was, it must have been 2006, I think it was, or maybe 2007. Why are you so, doing uh, this like a trailer for a 90s <laughs> movie? The year. Uh, the year. Um, so I'd st- I, was an in- I got an internship, right, MTV, and I was working at MTV News. And the presenter also, it's not funny, people talk about celebrities being like horrible stuff or, not, or being really like weird and not very nice to you. There were two presenters on MTV News when I worked then. One was Shantha and one was Ricky. Ricky's still on the news. Uh, he's on Kiss, I think, to this yes, day. Yes, he's Shantha. on the radio. He is, he's on the radio. The actual radio. Um, I don't know what Shantha's doing. They were both the nicest like some of the nicest people I've ever met. Like, I'm just going to put that out there first. They were so lovely to everyone. It doesn't matter whether you were like an intern or like the top, the whatever. And I was chatting to Shantha one day and I'd, and I'd thought about this before. I was like, oh, I can't wait until they come out of like an electronic book. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, you know, like it'll be an electronic book where the pages have the words written on them, but it looks like paper and you can like push a button and it will flick the page for you. And she went, what 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 is this? Is this a thing that exists? And I was like, no, no, but it's something that's obviously, you know, it's going to happen, right? Because it's it's something that you can see is going to happen. And I just think that'd be really cool. Like, I can't be bothered turning pages of an actual book. And she got really excited and was like, Jonesy, this is incredible. You have to do that. Like, this is such a good idea. Why don't you try and pursue it? And I was like, I, you know, I don't know. And then about three years later, the Amazon Kindle came out. Yeah, but hang on so, a second. No, like, I will not have you ruin... Unless, My idea unless, that I created the Amazon Kindle. Uh, unless of your the two celebrities you used to work under, Ricky remained on the radio, and Shantha went on to create and invent the ebook and the Kindle herself. So she did. That's just you being forward thinking. Yeah, no, I know. I didn't. Like, really imagine it, I just you know. Like, also, also, I guarantee that the this original stuff was made in like the nineteen eighties, and then right, it was exactly. just developed over the next thirty years. But I, do you know what? Because she'd never heard or seen that stuff before. It made me feel like I'd come up with a cool idea and then they, when the uh, Kindle came out. All, all I'm imagining in my head is, you know, again, I've never actually seen one. I don't even know if they exist. I think I've seen it on a TV show. But you get those kind of 
slightly stifled old-timey museum exhibits where someone's like, welcome to the world of tomorrow. And it's like, <laughs> right. in the year 2000, the the average American family will watch television. And so basically, you've just done your version of that, which is like, you've taken something that people interact with every day and like, but what if this was what if electronic? What if it was electronic? <laughs> and everyone's jaws hit the floor. It's like, Jonesy, you could be a millionaire. Yeah, it like, is... I could, it is- I'm going to look around my room now. Like, what if ketchup... Well, no, ketchup can't be electronic. That's a bad idea. Um, no, it, yeah, of course, I, did, I didn't really invent it at all, and it was already there. But I did feel, for that, for that, like, you know, that minute, I was like... Because so, you know what it is? It's like you said, it's someone who doesn't think about the future and tech, and someone who does, and then you say, well, because obviously this thing's going to come out, and they're like, what? But yeah. But, actually, I should mention a bit of tech that I picked up this week yes. for my wife... Because uh, it was her birthday, so I bought her a present, and I was genuinely like, "This is so cool!" I got her a remarkable two, um, not sponsoring, remarkable, not sponsoring the podcast, but it's a ta- so it's a it's like an Amazon uh, Kindle or something like that, but it's okay. like the size of a notebook. Comes with a stylus, or it just like looks like a normal pen, mm-hmm. um, and you write on it and draw on it, and it works. It works just like paper, so you draw on it everything, but then you click a button and it digitizes it and makes it into text. And then it emails it to you and it stores it as PDFs and as Word documents and stuff like that. Wow. So you can you can write away like it's a notebook. Right, 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 right. And then at the end, you click email it to me and it converts it all into actual text and stuff. Um, have, yeah, you, have you used it since uh, since you got it? I've used it, yeah. I've, I've had a And the writing experience, because I've always felt like that's one thing, like whether like using the tip of your finger on a touchscreen has obviously always felt pretty weird when it comes to writing. Like it's not even close to being in the same realm. And I always sometimes feel like touchscreens with a stylus, like traditional touchscreens, not ones specifically designed to replicate the feeling of writing, also kind of miss the mark. Would you say this is kind of a step above, like an iPad with a uh, one of those Apple pens? Yes, for the writing, yes, because it's not. It's more like a pay. It's more like a Kindle. Uh, is it paper light? Uh, so right. the texture of the screen is like is a bit more papery. Okay, and I know it, what you mean. It's not a touchscreen. It's well, no, it is a touchscreen, but it's it's not a color screen. It's it's a it's like grayscale kind of exact yeah. exactly yeah yeah. Um, you'll have to. I tell you what, next time we get together in person, I'll uh, you'll have to have a go. Absolutely, see what, you, see what you think to it. Hopefully, sooner rather than later. I'm expecting another barbecue this summer if the sun comes out here in old England. Do you know? What I tell you what, I made um, I made a beef Wellington uh, okay last last week. And I thought, do you know what? The only way I could improve this was if I'd put it on the barbecue. Oh, so maybe. for a second there, I thought you'd say, we we're going to say the only way I could improve this was by inviting Chris and Jamie to eat it with me. <laughs> but then you went what? back to your barbecue. It is an impressive barbecue. Don't get me wrong. But I was, that's what I was thinking. If you guys come up, then uh, I, maybe I can uh, make you a beef Wellington on the barbecue. So. As long as I can bring the sweet baby rays, then, then I'm there, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. Jonesy, I'll be honest, you might be in the good books with the wife after buying her this fantastic new piece of kit, but there is someone out there we actually owe an apology to. Oh, who's and that? And that's our good friend, someone we've known for many, many years, Alex Brown of Just Interesting fame, who reached out to us in the comment section of last week's video to let us know that we'd made a grave error in our speculation around Dwayne The Rock Johnson's sexuality. Um, can I indulge you in a little comment of the week on that note? I, I was just because I will remind people we said, or sorry, I think you said actually that The Rock had never shared an on-screen romantic kiss. Yes, um, and I think we said the one in the recent Ryan Reynolds uh, Red Notice. I think Red Notice didn't count with um, 
uh, who's, I can't remember who the woman Gal Gadot. Is. Of course, Gal like Gadot. Yeah, Gal Gadot, um, Gal Gadot, yeah. Because it, was, it wasn't like a romantic kiss thing. It was like a, they were together and then they, they kiss each other at some point. But it wasn't like a romantic kiss. Yeah. And that, like, perhaps, again, it could have just been our memories lacking, but it felt as though in traditional leading man terms, even for someone who, you know, shies away from, say, like, rom-coms and what leading men of the late 90s, early 2000s might have done, he didn't seem to be smooching very much, Jonesy. No. And it was hard to imagine smooching. Like, imagine The Rock closing his eyes and pursing his lips. It's just a weird mental image. But If he was going to do it, yeah, and I I imagine it would be like... Not to me, to to uh, his leading lady. I would imagine it would be something like the nineteen twenties or nineteen thirties, where the guy almost picks her up and like just smashes his face into hers, and they do one of them. So there's not actual real kissing. It's like this overly masculine, like weird sort of kiss. Yes. Yeah. Well, I wonder if that's the case in the example that our attention is being drawn to by Alex Brown, who wrote in last week to say. I'm heartbroken that clearly neither of you have seen the cinematic classic Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. For anyone that doesn't know, a little side note here, Alex Brown, um, passionate and unashamed Fast and Furious fan, always has been, and um, I respect him for that, if anything. He goes on to say, in which The Rock has a romantic love interest and shares an on-screen kiss. Sadly, it was not with Jason Statham, also definitely Team Knife. Which is also, I, I will say, a good note to end it on because it means that Alex Brown certified not crazy. He's team knife. He's trustworthy, and anyone on team bat can't be trusted. <laughs> I you know, I read a few. Co- I, read, I read a couple of the comments about team knife versus team bat, and I did laugh. The especially the ones about team knife because there was a few people sort of saying, "Be very careful not, what you say about team knife, sir." No, not 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 about the the the, um, the benefits of of team knife. But the wits, like someone specific, I can't remember who it was, but they said um, they were definitely team knife because if you have, if you were team bat and someone came at you with a knife, you have one chance to hit them with the bat. And if you miss, they can then knife you as much and as often as they want. And you don't need to, and they've won. And I was like, well, hold on. You could just reverse that and say that if someone with the bat was coming at you, you have to get them with the knife on the first try, otherwise they're just going to batter you with the bat. No, Which because like, you, it's, you, can't, you can't sprint at someone and hit them with a bat because as soon as you're too close to them, you've got nothing else to do. Which is obviously the, the whole point of the bat is that you don't get too close to them. Yeah, right? but the person with so, the knife so you can get close do? to you. you they, no, I, if no, I no, had no. The, if they I had have the knife, to. They have I, to get close to you. Yeah, if I had the knife, I would literally be hugging the person I was fighting. But what about if you tried to get near them and they simply stepped backwards and swung at you with the bat. And, and then let, you stepped forwards to get them with the knife, and they stepped back and hit you with the bat. Well, f- first of all, how many swings can they get in as they are, like, let's say, either walking or running backwards while I'm sprinting towards them? I guess it's not that many. Secondly, it really frustrates me the amount of people who underestimate how difficult it would be to hit a target, namely someone's head, moving at full speed towards you with a fully wound-up baseball-style swing. Like, you think about a baseball-style swing, because that's how you're going to get the most speed, the most momentum, the most power, which I feel like is the lyrics to a rock song, ironically. I think that might be overdo it. The full baseball swing, I think, might be overdo it. Yeah, but, like, any kind of swing that's going to hurt, you're going to have to have some idea of timing and trajectory. 
where the person's head is relative to you and when to start your swing to hit the head at the perfect point. If you mistime it, even momentarily, you either like clip past the front of their face or you're hitting them with like the lower down the shaft of the bat or the handle. There's so many ways that the baseball swing could go wrong if you're per- if the person with the knife decided to sprint at you. I feel, but I feel like there's all. I feel like all the arguments for the bat for pro pro knife. Yeah, can just be reversed and made for pro bat. No, Obviously, they absolutely like, can't. No, no, they can't. They can't. For example, right? You say, oh, you know, you've have, you've got to you've got to wind up. You've got to take the swing. You've got to get the trajectory right. And if you miss, da da da, which I, I understand. And you're saying like, if you're running backwards, obviously it's going to be hard to do that multiple times. And can you get enough power to like yep. inflict damage, etc.? But then this this then assumes that the person with the knife is like running is like running at you with it out like this and at no point have you hit their hand and they just run and poke you with no, it. No, because you're Whereas not running. Rea- reality, reality, they've got to get, they're going to be like this, ready to stab, he's dab, stab. They've got to get within this distance of you to actually get you with that knife. Yep. Whereas you have got a bat which is like this long and you could just slowly, if you wanted, you could slowly walk backwards and just do this. And if but they like, come near no, you, like, it's going to... In your head, in your head, when you're slowly, quote unquote, slowly walking backwards, swinging a bat, like the, do you think the person with the knife is just aimlessly walking towards you at the same speed you're walking backwards? <laughs> in you, my you head, fighting a moron. No, but in in my head, it's become one of those hilarious like martial arts things where they say, "Come at me like this," and then the person does it wrong. Like, no, not like that. Come at me like this. You know, not like that. Can, Hold it like this. It's, can and we do? You an end experiment? up with the person with the bat just doing this, and the person with the knife just walking with it out straight. And it's this ludicrous. Do you know what we need to do? We need to wrap a person in a mattress and a duvet and then have them be the knifey person and then do the same thing in reverse and see. We need, we need a scientific experiment here to see if this see, works. I, I know this wouldn't be a scientific experiment and it wouldn't settle the debate for a lot of people. But one thing I would like to do, if you'd you know, give me the opportunity, is the next time we see each other, perhaps over a beef wellington, is we'll <laughs> do an experiment where let, let, we'll say for the sake of argument, we'll go into your garden you pretend you're holding a steel bat. I'll pretend I'm holding a seven-inch long knife. I'll show you what I'm trying to, what I would do if the, I was holding the knife. And you tell me if you honestly think you could keep me away. I I feel like that would be an unfair test for you, if I'm being honest, because the remember originally we said it was a uh, corridor, which, okay, which yeah. funnels uh, that funnels the bat holder. Because if because if I had a baseball bat and you had a knife and we were in a garden, I feel like I could destroy you and you'd never get anywhere near me with respect see for me i've just had a perfect memory like you know how you're kind of like imagining the knife person to be slowly walking forward like prodding the <laughs> knife out yeah. i'm imagining all the map people do you remember the shining yeah you know um when he jack finally goes crazy and he's uh like he's basically like like ushering his wife almost backwards up the steps while he's holding an axe and she's holding a baseball yeah. bat like an absolute idiot, like halfway up the handle and kind of like <laughs> stupidly like swinging like with no, no force whatsoever while walking backwards one step at a time. In my head, all the baseball bat <laughs> people are doing that. It's, yeah, probably, probably. Which is not the case. Anyway. You must, you was, must be able to find, an, there's got to be a YouTube expert in knives and well, bats that can say. I'm, I'm sure there is, but the reason I brought it up and, and we just kind of accidentally illustrated it there once again for the second week in a row, is because I can't recall a similar hypothetical debate where people can simultaneously be as far removed from the actual scenarios presented within, i.e. what actually happens to you and how would you respond and how would your body respond to either A, being hit with a steel bat, 
at various parts of the body or B, being stabbed in various parts of the body and yet have so much conviction that their belief is is right and unquestionable and is the only possible option. Um, that's what I find so fascinating about it. And that applies to me, by the way, obviously. But also, I think one in the hypothetical as well, I think one thing people forget is the fear of getting hurt. So, for example, yes. in the in people's minds where they've got the knife, they're like, if you don't hit me with that bat, you know, square in the jaw first time, I'm getting you with that knife. It's like, dude, if someone winds up and swings at you with a baseball bat, you're not just running in perfect swings. You're ducking and, and like hiding and covering your head. But same the other way around. If you've got a baseball bat and you're about to swing it, if someone comes at you all stabby, I don't think you're going to be getting in some like Kenny Griffiths Jr. style perfect swings. You're going to be like just blocking and trying to not get sliced to pieces. So yeah, there you go. I think it's probably one of those things where there are, you know, elements of rightness and wrongness in both of them, which is probably mm. why that kind of debate could be perpetuated and go on indefinitely if we let it. But that's not why we're here today. Um, and I will just say another thank you to Alex for that comment. I apologize that we end up talking more about the knife and bat argument than we did about the rock. So you haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw then? I'll just double check, Jonesy. I've not, I've not seen Hobbs and Shaw. I don't, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know when I stopped with the Fast and Furious. I thought... I, I still to this day don't know if Alex's love of Fast and Furious is ironic or not. I think it's self-aware, but not ironic. That's oh, okay. what it looks like. That would to make me. sense. Yeah, um, he's he's anyone who hasn't heard Alex, yeah, you can you can go over and you can check him out on the uh, Just Interesting podcast um, on YouTube and on podcasting platforms of your choice. Um, he he does have a voice which to me makes it difficult to know when he's being ironic or not. Sometimes. He has a True, delivery yeah. and a cadence, which I'm like, are you, are you, is that real? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't even, I know even less now. I know. He almost, exactly he almost, he almost sometimes has the, the, uh, the, the way of talking like a comedian does. Yes. Where it kind of throws you off one way or the other. And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. You have to, you have to kind of check yourself for a second to be like, that delivery was like deadpan enough that I have to kind of, I have to do the mental gymnastics now, figuring out whether they mean what they just said or not. Yes, yeah. which but again, I've asked you, him if it was iron, irony that he likes Fast and Furious, and he assured me it wasn't. But then I was no more the wiser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a horrible run-in with uh, an attempt at an ironic joke this week because, as you know already, Jonesy, I started a new job this week, and I was talking yes. to some of my new coworkers. And uh, for anyone that kind of isn't uh, filled in on uh, Super Show kind of lore or backstory, we are all uh, video editors by trade. Um, and I was so I was talking to some of my fellow video editors, and at the end of a call where we were all kind of chatting and get to know each other, we were talking about um, kind of workflow and stuff like that, and um, and how uh, one of my coworkers made the observation that he found it very interesting to see one of my other new coworkers' uh, workflows for the first time. And I tried to make a joke by going, um, "Oh, you're going to love seeing mine. Then it's super simple." And they go, "Oh yeah," and I go. Yeah, well, it's actually, um, I don't know if you guys have used it before, but I do most of my work on, you know, Windows Movie Maker? Um, and <laughs> they both stared at me with the most, like, gaunt, ex- like, like, I think it was, you know, when someone's, like, so genuine and they're still getting to know someone, they don't know what their sense of humor is and whether, whether they should take them at face value or not. So they both had this moment where they were like, oh, yeah, no, cool. Yeah, great. I've never used it, but it sounds good. And you but, had to say, I'm joking. Oh, yeah. I had to say that was a joke. Why is no one laughing? Um, and those Did they laugh the, uh, after you said that? No, they didn't. Uh, they oh, were like, no. oh, okay. Uh, they, were bit, they were too nice is the, is the problem, which is a weird thing to complain about in a new job. But uh, yeah. 
I, I, uh, uh, yeah. I've had, I have had uh, a similar situation where a joke fell incredibly flat and I realised it's because it was, and I tried a couple of jokes and I realised it is not an environment where humour has any place, apparently, which was, um, uh, I don't know what, if it's basically these, they're called NCT classes in the UK, which is where you go when you're having a kid for the first time and there's someone there who talks to you about, this is what it's going to be like when you have a kid and this is all the stuff that's going to happen and this is what you need to know. There's a whole bunch of other people there, prospective parents, and mm-hmm. um, there happened to be, they were asked, they said, oh, what do you think these things are? And there happened to be like a, 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 something that looked like a French made like penny. I think it was okay. just like for wiping a baby's face or something. And I made a joke about it being something that could get you in trouble and end up with more, more children coming on the way. I thought it was quite humorous. And I think it was pretty obvious that it looked like the oh, thing I was no. alluding to. And it completely fell totally flat. And the woman who runs the little class about like having babies didn't even smirk. And I was like, wow, this is not. Did, did not you try and follow up by being like, you know, because it's this or like. Or no, you- I let that go. And then I tried another joke another time. Uh, and again, zero, zero chuckles. And I was like, this is not somewhere that people think humor belongs. So I was like, no more jokes. Jeez, yeah. Yeah. Do you know where somewhere, somewhere where humor does belong, Jonesy? Was that? It's the Super Show podcast, and the reason the humour belongs on the Super Show podcast is because the Super Show podcast is hosted by three particularly humorous individuals. Individuals powered and energised by the support of patrons over on patreon.com forward slash super show. There are a number of them there already, and you could be one of them too, should you head over there and pledge for as little as $2 a month. You can get things like access to our Discord, where we discuss everything from games to... Well, honestly, lately, just more knife and bat stuff. I don't know why that would be appealing, but that's the God's honest truth about it. There are other tiers, $5, 10, all kinds of things. There is patron-exclusive content. There's patron-exclusive videos. There's patron-exclusive podcasts. I think Chris recently actually uploaded and provided for one of the tiers on the Patreon, I believe the $5 tier, access to um, an old pilot that we shot at all, uh, all-time gaming in our previous jobs that was never released in this never before seen. So if you want to see stuff like that, that that link once again is patreon.com forward slash super show. There are some names on screen right now for people that have already been kind enough to support us. And I want to give some special shout outs to some additional folks. And they are Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Bill Caesar, Brimstone, Cole K, Helium Joker, Ice Nort Rock Salt, Jesper Camdahl, Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Nathan Pierce, Neil Dugel's Dream of Prosthetic Mustaches, Daniel, Pastors Guild, Scary Omen, Starful Kid, The Ballless Beauty, The Gorgeous Gelding, The Yummy Eunuch, The One and Only, Mark Clancy. And of course, finally, never to be forgotten, we have the head honchos around here, the people that tell us what to do, in theory. Bretzi, aka Shellshock, Doppler, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Creed, Manuel Guerrero, Peaswad, and The Uncaged. <sighs> Jonesy, I can't tell you how happy it makes me feel to get to read out that list of names. Where would yes. we be without our patrons? Uh, working in a, a DIY shop, probably. So. I mean, I'll be honest, I could see you doing that even with the patrons, just because you have a passion for DIY. Like, you That's are primed true. to be a, like an assistant at a and q I You'd think I could. love it. I think I could. Um, excuse me, uh, excuse me, where uh, do I get saw blades for a junior hacksaw? So R2, mate. Yeah, no, see, no, that's, even that's not... You would take them to those saw blades because that's how much oh, you care I would. about your job. And then, I'd, and then I'd go, you could get this one, 
but you know, might might wear out pretty quickly. This one is diamond tipped and will last you much longer. It's an extra five quid though, so you know. Exactly. You. Now I just want to see you working in a customer service <laughs> environment for some reason. And I, I echo what Jamie said. Thank you so much to all of our patrons. Yeah. You uh, are fabulous individuals. So I appreciate you very much. Yes, thank you all so much. And that link one last time, patreon.com forward slash super show. We thank you all, whether you've checked it out, whether you have pledged in the past or whether you continue to pledge now, we really do genuinely appreciate. And it allows us, Jonesy, a little bit of time during the week to play things and watch things and come back to the podcast on a weekly basis and report on our findings. So I'm wondering... What have you been up to lately? Do you know what? I had a bit of a weird one this week because um, I I wouldn't have played any games probably because I I, just, I don't know. I wasn't really feeling it this week. I had a lot of other stuff to do. I had a lot of work to do, trying to get back into the work after uh, getting over the dreaded COVID. Mm. Um, but I did have some time to play something um, and it was only four pounds. So I felt like I had to get it. And that was Ace Combat 7 Skies Unknown. Yeah, I've I've been a fan of like aerial combat games for I don't I don't even know since I was like maybe seven or eight years old like playing them in arcades and things. I've played Ace Combat games before, but like probably back in like PlayStation Two era. Haven't played them for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I was tempted with Ace Combat Seven when it came out originally, but there was no way I was going to drop like forty quid, fifty quid, whatever it was. But for four pounds, Jamie, I yeah, you know, I, I thought it's a very pretty game. It looks fantastic, so I thought even if it doesn't play amazingly well, I, I would like to do a little bit of a um, a dogfight, fly around in some cool-ass jets. Sure. And it is exactly that. There are some cool-ass jets, and it is quite cool to fly around. That is a very good-looking game. It is fun to play. It's, it's a weird one in some ways. I watched a cheeky little review before I played it. I watched Skill mm-hmm. Up. I watched Skill Up play it so I can nice. get a bit lay of the land. Um, and if I remember right, he said it was a little bit tricky like a little bit difficult. And if you don't do like what the radio calls and stuff are telling you to do, you might come a cropper and to, you know, and it's, it's a quite a hard game. I think I've only played four or five missions, but it's pretty easy as a game. Oh, right. on, okay, I'm cool. only on normal difficulty. So maybe that's why, to be fair, maybe he's on like hard difficulty. Um, but it's, it's kind of straightforward. It's very forgiving. It like the lock on and stuff with missiles is, is very forgiving. Um, you can, if someone locks onto you, you can just like wiggle the joystick and do a bit of a loop-de-loop and you can escape most lock-ons and um, things like that. Uh, but there's a lot of fun to be had. You can blast people out of the sky. You can, um, you know, get your, get your dogfighting kicks in. It has one of maybe the worst campaign tie-ins that I've ever seen. Um, right. Specifically from the cutscene perspective. It starts out in a really weird way. Because it has like multiplayer, has online multiplayer, or you can play the campaign mode. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, give me a campaign multiplayer, surely. Top Gun, easy. Just follow that for every Ace Combat game ever made. Mm-hmm. Young guy, young girl gets into the army, uh, or to, sorry, the navy or the air force. It writes itself. It's not that difficult. Exactly. They play beach volleyball. You can, yeah, you go from there. You go from there. They decided to go with the idea that this young girl makes her own plane at an airplane graveyard with her dad and a bunch of friends. <laughs> okay, good. Um, takes off in said plane that can't turn, apparently, but can go up and down and can break the speed, the sound barrier, so she's hyped. She then gets shot down by um, the local military that are already in the air fight, blowing a drone up because it's a, or, nah, it sort of became a war zone while she, when she took off, basically, um, that she didn't know about. So she got shot down. She gets arrested and taken to this like some um, military base. 
and is told to work for them repairing planes because they know she can do that because she made her own plane. But every time you play a mission, it's got nothing to do with her. Oh, so who do the missions follow? Just some random person that you are never introduced to in the cutscenes. But maybe there's like a memento thing where like that story's going forwards while your story's going backwards and they'll like meet in the middle somehow. I like really you're getting ho- cutaways I, to a different story. I really hope so because it makes no sense. I'm like, I'm a few hours in and so far there doesn't seem to be any crossover. Like it occasionally shows you her <laughs> talking about fixing planes and the fact that she's been arrested and stuff. And then it cuts to use this person trigger who is like a new pilot. And they're like, it's, it just seems like they've welded these two things together for no reason. It's very strange. Very strange. But that does sound odd. I'm going to keep playing it. I'm going to uh, keep plugging away because it's yeah. there's some fun to be had there. And it was sure. very cheap. So. It's fine. I actually saw it in the PlayStation store myself because, I, again, I don't know if this is necessarily how and when you came across it and, you know, what you were kind of looking out for at the time. But I've been, I don't know why either, but I've been going through the PlayStation store a lot lately, just kind of looking at sales and looking at, like, oh, I should buy something. I just need, I feel like I need a new title to sort of reinvigorate some of my, you know, slightly diminishing desire to play all the games I've got on the go, technically, like Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, for example, which I now haven't touched in probably two weeks and really should. But I, I don't know. I keep looking at things like Lego Star Wars and just being like, damn, I should just pull the trigger. Yeah, like it is, it is very tricky, as everyone knows, when you've got games on the go to pick them up. Some, you just have a weird thing sometimes. It doesn't scratch the itch of something new, which I think makes it harder to... And then you have to say, well, yeah. what, what one am I going to like dip back into? Like, I, I've played some more Kirby this week as well, but I haven't, I haven't played any more Star Wars, Lego. Um, and I think, so yeah, Ace Combat definitely scratched the itch of something new, something that nice. um, I hadn't played for a while. Um, but that was, that was pretty much the only gaming that I've, um, I've done this week. But I did, thanks to our friends over at Warner Brothers, and a cheeky little code, that they sent to us, which meant that I could, from the comfort of my own home, I could watch The Batman. Um, Very nice. Which I know you and Chris have already watched. Uh, yes. And I was keen to watch as well. Um, I, know, I don't know if we'll, I don't know when we'll get around to doing it, but we were talking about doing, obviously, a spoiler cast for it. Um, and after some technical issues of actually trying to get it playing. Um, oh. What well, service did it use? It, they use some weird, like, um, special their own service where you have to click through to something but it would be fine on a pc or a laptop it's just if you i wanted to watch it on my tv so Mm -hmm. i had to like i had to chromecast it to my tv but then i was having issues whatever but got it working in the end anyway um that is a weird okay yeah it's a weird movie like right i was the things i was worried about so like for example uh, Catwoman, I thought, I thought, oh God, is it going to be another film which effectively tries to just become Batman and Catwoman and she's well over the top and becomes a really sort of like ridiculous character that's just annoying. She doesn't at all. I thought she was absolutely fine. I actually liked, if anything, I liked the way that they kind of um, had her as a supporting character in it. Um, things that I thought would probably be okay. Like Andy Serkis as Alfred, I thought, oh yeah, that's all right. No, he was, he was a terrible Alfred. Shouldn't have been in it. Uh, had a really annoying voice. <laughs> oh, that's but not, oh, I don't know thankfully, if I agree with that. Thankfully, he's not in a rush. As soon as he came on the screen, my wife went, that's ridiculous. No one would hire a butler who speaks that badly. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's not a, not a bad point. Well, as if you hire a butler Ooh, based on how right, master Wayne, also, get up the apples and pears, mate. Let's go and give you a bath. I, I thought like, one of the on. things that the film was quite clear on was that this was not a, the traditional Alfred story in terms of his backstory and his relationship to Bruce. 
Uh, yeah, they try and do some sort of. He's obviously supposed to be like some sort of military dude. Yeah, he's who, former military. Yeah. Yeah. Who who uh, worked with the dad and then kind of becomes a butler. But it, it was yeah, it was funny because when she said it, it did make me laugh. And I thought like yeah, there's I, I could see it would be surprising if if he was your butler. Then, then it goes all crowy. Like I swear that it could scenes from this film could have been from the crow. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> Because so this, this, there's a weird thing in films when they sort of say, because everyone knows, if you're going to wear the cowl right around the eyes, you need to have the black makeup around your eyes because otherwise you've got little white eyes sticking out of a black cowl and it would look really silly. But one thing they don't ever do is show Batman taking the mask off and then having like makeup around his eyes oh, because right, it would just yeah. look funny. And everyone knows this. So then when you get a certain you know type of movie maker, type of director, and they say, no, this is going to be authentic. And so they say, what's going to make it authentic? put the makeup around his eyes. But then you're going to end up with a guy who looks like he's being a panda at a kid's fate. So uh, they say, we can't do that. So what are we going to do? I know. It's hot and sweaty. So let's just smush it down over his face. Uh, and then that will look cool. And, what, cool. and he looked like the crow in every scene. Then doesn't the help that he has the emo. Thing. He has the emo hair. It's all like this. To which at one point, again, my wife did mention, are we watching uh, Spider-Man 3? Oh god, these are some these are some takes, God. Okay. Um, but I will say, so like the first third, I was less than impressed. I thought it was kind of dull. I didn't really know what they were trying to go for. It then in the middle uh, definitely kind of comes together a little bit for me, and I started to get what they were going for, and I quite liked the uh, the noiry um, sort of aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fighting has definitely been influenced by like Daredevil, and you know that sort of more realistic guttural kind of fights that they have in superhero stuff um sometimes it kind of then went lost me a little bit the story lost me a little bit and gets a bit meandery and gets a little bit um sort of i think i think it's like trying to be too clever in a bit not too clever but it's trying to like be too um oh god i don't even know what the word is but it gets caught up in its own thing which i didn't think it needed to do it could have been more like movie and just be like this is the story just crack on because I wanted more Riddler. That's the thing. I wanted more Riddler and they kind of go on a divergent path, which I suppose is, f- is fine, but I wanted it to, s- I wanted to see more of the Riddler. I wanted to get more into that. And I felt like I was underserved in the middle part of the film. Um, but they then pull it back. And I felt like, okay, I see what they're doing again. So it was, it was a bit of a roller coaster. if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to give like too much it. away. Um, Strange again in the way that the, in some some sense, I think if you saw this, you could imagine that this is the this is the story that the Batman was based on. If someone said to you, like, what's, you know, like The Exorcist, and then you have the the story behind The Exorcist mm-hmm. is actually a story of this young girl who was da da da. I could imagine that this was almost like the story of Batman of a young guy who becomes this um, superhero in a, in a in a crime ridden town because like the, the characters are much more realistic like the penguin isn't a penguin he's not the um sure. danny devito like you know like penguin hands and stuff <laughs> yeah. you don't have the it's not jim carrey riddler it's it's like a realistic riddler and stuff even catwoman is much more of a realistic cat she just happens to be a burglar with cats yeah she's got a couple of cats and she's a burglar like, she's not yeah. some ludicrous like michelle pfeiffer like meow and a cat yeah, exactly. kind of. yeah but but then you still have batman Who's just as Batman as Batman's ever Batman? If he can't is, not be Batman, can't not be Batman. I mean, you could in a way. So, for example, like I would say that this film almost feels like it's trying to do a Joker, 
to the Batman in that the Joker is a much more realistic film about the Joker. But this tries to... I don't think they were trying to do it, but I felt like it was going down that road. But then Batman is still very much the Cape Crusader, the super detective with his with his bat tech and his uh, I can fly and I can jump off buildings and I have a bat car and I have all of this. Um, it's not as bad as like a George Clooney Batman by any stretch for anyone who hasn't seen no, it. No, I, I think it's the... I mean, I was about to say I think it's one of the best Batman films they've, that's been made but I don't know which film I necessarily think is better. Because I, I know I'm on the record of thinking that I have uh, wavering uh, feelings towards Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Right. And those films are really the only ones that can kind of come close. Is there a bad, ba- better Batman film than The Batman? Most people are probably going to say The Dark Knight, and I think that's fair enough, but I just I don't know I, that I like The Dark Knight that much. I guess. So, if you, so it's, it is a weird one. Is there a better, but like as a Batman film, I think the Batman is, is really up there because it, it kind of seems to embody much more of, ironically, much more of the feel of the comic books I would imagine comes out in the Batman in like a noir sense, right? In a detective, dark sure. and brooding kind of sense. And a lot of the films, especially the early ones, get ludicrous. Like they're so over the top, um, like with action and colours and comedy. Um, but if you said to me, what's a better film? I would say The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises are like much better films. I, I can't follow you into Dark Knight Rises territory. Oh, I'm like afraid. Bane. I love, I, Bane, I think, but then you can have whole films that stand on the back of one character. And I think that's why I'm saying I don't, I agree about maybe ba- the Batman being a better Batman film, but The Dark Knight Rises, I think is a better film in the sense of the characters, what happens, how cool it is to the watch char- in the cinema. Like, but I think I I love Bane, and I think he's great. Like Tom, uh, what's Hardy? It? Tom Hardy does such a good job in that as as, as Bane. I thought it was cracking. But, the, but this know. is like this is forgettable in a lot of sense. Like, there's a no one I think is going to be talking about the performances of like the Riddler, the Penguin, or the Batman, or like I Alfred, I just di- I, dis- I disagree. But like, year, like years down the line. Well, I think it depends also a lot on what the legacy of this Batman ends up being, which, right. again, we already know, I think, as of this week, that a sequel is being made. Like, how quickly can they get that turned around? Uh, which villains do they end up utilising for that? I know there are some obvious shouts, but do they kind of lean into that or do they steer away from that? And But if they can keep up, like, if they, if they can get a trilogy out of this in the same way Christopher Nolan got a trilogy out of it, and they manage to keep up the standard of the Batman... I don't see a reason why this will not go down or be at least be remembered as fondly as um, Nolan's trilogy. But I, I don't know, but I don't know. I, I, I think one of the things that Nolan's trilogy has that the Batman maybe didn't have, which is I think maybe what you're getting at, is that there is something larger than life, in particular about Heath Ledger's Joker, and to a slightly lesser extent uh, about with, with Tom Hardy's Bane. I think that's actually, weirdly enough, one of the things that, Batman Begins doesn't have, not necessarily as a negative, just as an observation, which is perhaps why it doesn't stand out as much. You know, Liam Neeson's Ra's al Ghul is not as memorable, nearly as memorable no, not at all, as yeah. Heath Ledger's Joker, in spite of the fact that it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I see, um, I, yeah. What I do like is, is the, the Nolan films seem to be about Batman and the arch nemesis who in that movie. So yeah, Ra's al Ghul, uh, the Joker, Bane the main character in the batman almost seems to be gotham like it's it's very yeah, much fair. set in gotham 
which I did like. And I did like some of the divergent stuff about like they're going into areas and they're talking about other characters and you really get a sense of who's running the underworld, how the city is run, yeah. what's going on, which was very cool. Weirdly, as because of that fact, the bat like the Batman character in it is is less of a um less of a force in the whole film. Whereas in the Nolan ones, it is very much the villain is the main thing. Then Batman is like a set, you know, is trying to so- solve the problem of the villain, and then Gotham is just sort of like the staging ground, which well, yeah, maybe but, is not. But it was because almost like in the Batman, like the Batman almost necessitates the villain by his nature to kind of not be as present as other villains maybe like were able to be um yeah. because he's not like you know even the joker for example the the joker was like a, a notorious like guy in gotham he had people that worked for him you know he goes to that big meeting of all the criminals which right. again like removed from any other context sounds like the dumbest thing in the planet like the biggest <laughs> criminals in gotham all get together for a mother's meeting but like he would do <laughs> stuff like that like he was you know, a, a, a weirdly public presence. He goes to Bruce Wayne's like party, like you know, and weird shit like that. Whereas the Riddler is very much like, like, no, you're you're not going to see me. The Riddler almost reminded me of, um, you know, you, we talked in the past about the Far Cry problem, which is that how do you make villains memorable and charismatic when, for narrative reasons, they really can't be around that much, right? Because yes. the longer, the more time the protagonist spends in proximity to the antagonist, the more odd it becomes that he's not just like killing him in most cases, or at least eliminating the threat. And I think that's where exactly like you said, um, Matt Reeves with the Batman was more willing than I think other people in the past when adapting that source material have been to let other elements shine. And there are times where you look at Catwoman as a essentially protagonistic force within the film. So it's someone who we can spend time with and we can follow in a narrative sense without it being jarring or or you know removed from the um from the kind of the flow of the narrative and she can have interactions which she can explore Gotham she can go to the club that all the criminals hang out at she can have interactions with Carmine Falcone she can have interactions with the penguin and the batman seems far more comfortable with us just seeing that stuff for extended periods of time even in spite of the fact that the batman might be off doing something else somewhere else which i think it benefits from no, I, I, I completely agree with all of that. Do you know what? One thing I will say, and I'll give a massive shout out to um, Matt Reeves and the Batman is, and I, and I think maybe I, I didn't appreciate this when I was watching it as much as I should have done, is making a film where you are not making the origin story is so right. much harder to do because you've got to go in, you've got to tell the story. Um, obviously, like with the Batman, you know, people have, they know a lot about the backstory anyway, but it's so, I think it's so much easier to go into, especially like a trilogy or, you know, however many you want to make when you start off and you can do the origins because origins, people just love origin stories anyway. It's so much yeah. easier when you can do an origin story. The second one in a, in a series is usually probably the hardest and it's usually the one that everyone says, oh, this is kind of trash. This feels like he's already made the second one in the trilogy. I could imagine there was an origin story that has um, uh, the, the Batman's Batman in it and this is the second one, and now the and then the third the third one will be the sequel if you, if that kind of makes sense. But he just didn't bother to make the origin story, and I'm so grateful for that because the last thing I wanted to see was another origin story um, of Batman. Yeah. I, I'm so glad he just went straight into like an and you know uh, just a movie about oh yeah Batman like the, being Batman. The, the, the the point of the first scene is literally Batman is not just active as a vigilante but has been effective enough as a vigilante that 
like he's a like he's now a deterrent. Like the, I don't yes. know if you remember the opening scene, but it's basically it's, there's a voiceover narration by um, the Batman. He's talking about how as essentially as a result of him, whether or not he's active or not, whether or not he's present or not, people are essentially scared of the dark. Criminals are scared of the dark again, right? And there's all these crimes going on at different places, and the Batman light comes on. And like the groups of criminals don't know if Batman's going to be coming for them that night, and like immediately kind of speaks to the effectiveness of Batman's first few years operating as a vigilante within Gotham, and effectiveness as a crime deterrent. Which again, even that feels, it, it's still a stretch in modern context. It's funny talking about knife versus bat, and then talk, having a very um, like realistic conversation about dude in black suit beating up twelve thugs at once. But yeah, within the realms of what makes sense for a comic book adaptation. I thought that was interesting. Do you know what's, i tell you what did really bug me. They make it work. They make dude in suit beats up 12 people at a time. They do make it work in most of it. When guns get involved, it got, it got stupid. When two people get to fire off 30 rounds each at him and they all decide to shoot his bulletproof torso. He is bulletproof. He is, he is bulletproof, except he's not bulletproof. All of here, all of, they don't shoot any of <laughs> yeah. that. They no just keep shoots. shooting. Oh my goodness, it's so annoying. Someone, I was watching it. Someone should do a recut of the Batman. It's like three minutes long, and it's like it starts with him trying to take on like Falcone's club or whatever. And like the first fight he gets, and someone shoots him in the jaw and he dies. <laughs> like, yes, they should. Because that is what I, you know, I, I don't want to, I know it's annoying when someone says something about a film you haven't seen and you see the film and you can't unsee it, but it is so palpable in any scene with guns. Is ridiculous because there's people there have like a, a Mac 10 or like an Uzi where they're just like, and he just stands there and takes it. And you're like, you're lucky that a ricochet didn't hit you in the jaw because that would have just smashed you to pieces. Yeah. But no, apparently not. Apparently he's absolutely fine. Yeah, his arm is that good. Yet when he gets punched, he still gets really bruised. Yeah. So take from that what you will. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I've enjoyed well, talking about the Batman because it is it's definitely worth a watch. It is it is definitely if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Um yeah. It's it's a, yes. it's, a it's a good film. It's definitely a good film. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to touch base with with Chris and kind of figure out um whether or not there's still enough meat on the bone to go into some kind of spoiler cast or patron exclusive chat about the Batman where obviously we can speak freely um because it will be uh, uh clearly labeled as such. Um um, but if we do do that, obviously keep an eye out on the uh, the Discord and the kind of the announcement server and all that kind of stuff because we will let everyone know. I will just say, Jonesy, that um, I mentioned earlier that I started a new job this weekend, so I have not been doing much in the way of playing games. Um, I will say though that um, it, it, don't get me wrong, there's not as much to talk about with this as there is the Batman. But I did finally see Jackass Forever, which I'm very happy about. I've um, not seen it yet at all. Was it? How's it um, sort of stand up? How do the old boys do now that they're uh, they've gone on a? Do few you know years? what? Like them being old boys doesn't matter too much because, like, for the most part, they are still willing to put their bodies on the line. And the cast is also mixed up with a couple of new faces, most of which seem like pretty natural fits. Like right. there is one. Uh, I I'm, I feel like a dick that this is the one thing I'm picking out on the um of the new cast, but like. It did stand out to me. There is now a token woman there. And it's like, it's weird because she's actually awesome in terms of the shit she does. Like she does some gnarly stuff and I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. But at the same time, like in terms of her role and her banter and her chemistry within the group, there was a feeling of like 
did someone tell them they needed a woman in the, the uh, jackass right. crew? They just kind, kind of, of yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. And like, don't get me wrong, like she did an awesome job, and they picked the perfect person for the for the spot. But like, there wasn't an air of it where, like, especially given that obviously Bam Margera is not in the film at all, and, right. and Ryan Dunn sadly passed away. There was a, there were a few points where you're like, the the jackass chemistry isn't quite as sort of seamless and charming as I remember it, but it's still mostly when combined with the stunts they do, um, entertaining enough to kind of be worth the price of admission. I was just trying to look up to see who the person, what who the woman was. You were saying is it is it Rachel? Potentially, I I, I recognise her face. I couldn't tell you her name. Oh yeah, I don't um, recognize, I don't recognise any of these. That you must recognise some of them. No, no, I recognise the, I recognise uh, like most of the jackass. Oh, the, yeah, sorry, I don't recognise. Um, you don't recognise any of the new people. No, yeah, they they they've, they come from different backgrounds. Um, Do you know who I'm glad isn't in it? Bam. Not no 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 like Bam would have been fine. Um, the really unfunny guys who are the uh, practical jokers. The practical jokers. The worst TV show. Oh, the 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 actual show. Like, what's it called? Impractical. What are they? Is it, oh, is it impractical? Impractical, impractical jokers. jokers. But hang on, they, why would you? Why would you be glad that they're not in Jackass when they've never been in Jackass? I, j- I just wanted an excuse to say how oh, unfunny I think the show is. Okay, cool. Do you know what? I, we it's, we it's know been someone on. who loves that show. Do we? Yeah, Sam Richards. I think. I'm no. Sure he why loves would he that like thing. it? It is um, the most unfunny. Sh- Do you know what's fu- the first? Like, I would give them the first series. British series, so like six episodes, not like American series, 25 episodes. Okay. The first series of a show like that can be funny mm-hmm. because you're in weird situations. People, are, your friends are making you do like really bizarre things and it, it can be a bit of a laugh. The second you've done season one, it's not funny anymore because you're not embarrassed about doing it because you know that it's a successful TV show and you're perfectly happy to go out there and make yourself. So when your friend's going, <laughs> say poop now, and then they go, poop and then they like all fall around on the floor laughing as though it's something some terrible thing it's like you know you don't this is so fake but then i don't know whether or not the i factor in the degree to which the person doing these pranks is comfortable with them or like you know almost immune to any kind of embarrassment at this point into the amount to which i enjoy it oh, that's like that's like that's the whole like saying thing. Oh, jackass forever doesn't work because those guys have been doing stunts for so long that they're not scared anymore and blah, blah, blah. blah. But no, like they, they do still get scared and they do still don't want, not want to do stuff. And But I, I believe that they still get scared and they're still worried about pain. I do not believe that the Impractical Jokers are actually worried about standing in a bakery saying to someone, do you want sprinkles? Like, it's not funny. Uh, yeah. It's just, also, it's just crap. You have also nailed the kind of the weirdly kind of almost like schoolgirlish giggling that goes on, like falling about them. So they, it's like they can't believe the reactions they get when they're probably 5,000 episodes deep in this show that's always had the same idea. Do you know what it really reminds me of? And I watched one the other day and I had to turn it I I used to like reaction videos, specifically people listening to like songs for the first time. Sure, yeah. Like on yep. YouTube. So I've always thought, oh, that's like quite a cool thing that started a few years ago. Um, and I quite like some of them. But then I stopped watching them like maybe two years ago. And but I noticed for the first time ages, I was recommended one on YouTube and I was like, oh, okay, let me like click on this. And it was some young guy watching, uh, listening to Zombie by the Cranberries for the first time. Fantastic song. Okay. And 
oh my goodness, A, he's definitely heard the song before because it, it's everywhere, like, you know, because this it became a big reaction video like years ago. Um, but then it's this thing now where they do this. They literally start watching the video and just like 10 seconds in and they go. <laughs> and it's just like, like, they're like, oh my, I'm feeling so emo about these lyrics. I'm like, no, you aren't. You're just, this is complete bollocks. And all the thumbnails of the pit of the, of the reaction videos are people like crying or pulling the most ugly sort of sad face you've ever seen. Yeah. And that is how I feel about the Impractical Jokers. Okay, I get you mean. I'm massively you're basically, you're, you're a psychopath is what, what we're saying. I've taken your entire catch up on a divergent tangent just to slag off the impractical jokers. It, no it's reason. a good tangent. I mean, I, I mean, what else can else can you say about Jackass Forever other than that it's the fourth Jackass movie and it's it's funny. It made me laugh. There were a few times, very selfishly, that I kind of wished they'd push the boat out a little bit further. Where I was like, hang on a second, like this is the longest gap it's been between movies. They've been on record talking about how I can't remember which one it was, whether it was Knoxville or Steve-O or someone like that. We did an interview. It was like, yeah, by the time we had our first meeting for Jackass Four, I came with a document with five hundred ideas on it. And like, you watch the you watch the movie, and it's like it's like an hour and twenty minutes long. So it's not even like crazy, like jam packed with stunts. It's like, hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville, and today I'm getting hit by a bull. And I was like, was that was that was that one of the five hundred ideas that you've also up done with over the last ten years? Because it's been in every movie. I was going to say he's definitely done that multiple times before. Yeah. Or there's one, there's like, there's three different stunts that are all kind of themed around the idea of what if we were going really fast when we went off a ramp? And it's like, well, like, don't get me wrong, these aren't bad ideas, but like, you've had a lot of time to kind of like just think of something that like no one would have thought of. Yeah. Oh, okay. what if I walked? What if I walked on a fucking running machine that was going full speed? <laughs> You'd well, okay, yeah. Like, how let's do it. Like, oh, don't get me wrong, I'll watch this and I'll laugh at your pain. But was there room left, you know, to, for a little bit more creativity? Especially, you've got to assume this is the last outing. I, I think for a lot of these guys, yeah. Um, I, I w- don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and spin this out into some either, whether, or not, whether it's a movie or not, or like a small TV show run or something like that, if they try and sort of cement the new generation of jackass kind of folks that they've right. introduced in this one to something a bit more permanent or maybe like they recruit like a Knoxville or a steve to kind of be like a guardian kind of like a schema like who kind of leads from the front and the rest of it is just kind of like a young up-and-coming cast okay because the, the jackass name still has a lot of sway and i think it's probably very appealing for a studio when they say hang on a second we can spend like five million dollars giving these idiots cameras to like kick each other in the balls and we'll make a hundred million dollars in return. Like it must be appealing. Those numbers are all not accurate by the way, but yeah, I, I do. I, I do like how, um, in the age of, uh, what would you call it? Like studios and, and Hollywood and stuff being like, well, maybe they're not, but I imagine they're like, you know, it's, it's about time we sort of dismantled the patriarchy and got rid of toxic masculinity. And they're like, jackass movie? Yes, <laughs> we're going to make another jackass movie. Yeah, but it's okay. wholesome. It's wholesome. Like, there's, there's, re- there's not that much that's actually, like, toxic or fucked up about jackass beyond the pain they put themselves through. No, no, I, I, th- I don't think there is either, but I think the whole, uh, the whole setup of, of that in, to whenever I've watched it, it is always like being in a uh, sports locker room. Right. 
the the dynamic is sure. so like especially when you see the behind the scenes stuff where like the director's like sitting on a, te- a chair writing on a thing and they run up behind him and like shave their head or they uh yes. they smack them with a jaw like they'll just or they'll just tase them and it's yeah. like it is just reminds me of being 16 playing rugby and like going on tour and just stupid shit that people did there was no like badness really there's no meanness but there was just stupid stuff that people did to okay, each yeah. other like like i remember you know this is obviously far from jackass but going to a um uh being on tour and then someone just bringing hair removal cream and thinking it was hilarious to just cover the hairiest player with hair removal cream from head to toe it was there was no like you know toxicness no about it no malice yeah. about it it was just this is funny, but you know, if it was you having it done to you, I don't think you'd think it was that funny. Yeah, I guess, I guess that kind of but spirit does still live on. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I think sure. that I thought that's the thing that people didn't really like these days. I thought they were like, we need to do away with that. But maybe not. Maybe not. Ah, well, Jackass somewhat proving otherwise. Um, do you know what else uh, people are seemingly not doing away with as quickly as we we might have thought they would, Josie? What's that? Playing Overwatch, or at the very least, watching it. Yes. Um, and that's because Overwatch 2, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, has been making headlines this week after it reached, brace yourself, Genty, 1.5 million concurrent viewers on Twitch, which ranks, rank, ranks excuse me, as the eighth highest number of all time as far as concurrent viewers go, which is pretty darn impressive. That is seriously impressive, given that it wouldn't be that long ago that you'd start to talk about the fact that Overwatch, people would say, is it a dying game? Is Overwatch dead? Right, exactly. And when you look at these sort of seven games that uh, rank above it on that leaderboard, you're talking about Call of Duty Warzone, Dota 2, Valorant, CSGO, Minecraft, Fortnite, League of Legends. So basically you're talking about like the, the biggest games, well, of recent memory, the biggest games of wow. the last 10 years in terms of... Except um, for Valorant. Hey, Chris isn't here to fight the esports views. corner, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait till Chris is back so that you two have that argument, because... Chris has got far more insight into the popularity of Valorant than than, than the uh, than yeah the the bot viewer argument that um, I'm I uh, think I think Overwatch Two maybe deserves a little bit in the Valorant camp as well. I I don't necessarily buy it's well actually as popular as that. So the, that's because there is an asterisk to all of right. this, which might actually explain what you're talking about. So essentially, Overwatch Two is in beta at the moment. The beta is running until May seventeenth. And it's only available on the PC, um, although Blizzard has said it's got plans to include console players in future tests. But the thing that might tap into your theory, Jonesy, is how you gain access to the beta, which is essentially uh, Blizzard partner streamers were allowed to stream during specific time windows, and players that have uh, accounts linked to their Twitch account, that is Battle.net accounts linked to their Twitch account, will earn a beta key to the game after watching, I think it's we've got written down here, the four-hour mark, which... Um, I guess depending on you know how many days it takes you to get it and whether or not you cram it in all one session is quite a lot of Overwatch two to watch and I can certainly see why someone might um, be interested in taking up that offer as a means to getting a bit of a early hands on time with that beta rather than just watching Overwatch two out of a sheer desire to watch Overwatch two. So hold on, so hold on. So you've got Blizzard partners, yes, who who are, when they're streaming at a very specific time. And yes. then you have, then you have people that have to watch for four hours. Yes. In order to get this, sounds like someone sat down with a piece of paper and a calculator, and they worked out how to get the maximum number of concurrent viewers at any one time in order to become, you know, to get in a list of 
oh look, Overwatch is doing Overwatch Two is doing really well as concurrent viewers. I mean, you are not wrong. Is the is the is the I guess the short way of putting it. Like clearly, this has all been designed and orchestrated to maximise the amount of people watching the game at certain times. But I also think there's an element of this where there is curiosity about Overwatch Two about the amount of new content, about the way it's going to differentiate itself, or at least not, maybe even not differentiate itself from its predecessor, that would attract a lot of people. Um, would it have been 1.5 million concurrent viewers? Probably not. I don't think we'd have talking about a top 10 uh, you know, all-time Twitch record in terms of concurrence. But I think it would have been successful. This was just another way of them squeezing a little bit more, you know, Little bit more viewership out of it. I can't. Right. You know, is that? Yeah, they didn't build can we, can all of the viewership that? from that. No, I, I, I can, I can understand why. Um, it's, it's a funny one though, because as well, because I would, I would think that Overwatch Two, like um, we've talked about before, and you know, we've said that maybe the reasons for making an Overwatch Two outright are a bit questionable in the first place. But give Overwatch its props. You know, it was a massive game. It was a lot of fun. I can't imagine that um, Overwatch Two is not also going to be very well sort of like taken up at least when it um, actually comes out. For sure. So, so hey, maybe, maybe it's just, just simply going to be that popular. But then again, like, you know, you talked a lot about Overwatch 2's, you know, potential popularity in light of the relative success of the first one, especially, you know, at launch in the first couple of years. That actually kind of ties into one of the reasons um, that I have not watched any, you know, significant amount of Overwatch 2 footage thus far, nor do I have a particular desire to play any of watch two at the moment beyond what I've seen. And that's because of what's actually entailed in this beta, which for anyone that hasn't watched uh, their required four hours of streaming thus far, it's basically got the, uh, the sequels five V five PVP mode, uh, a new mode called push. It's got the ping system. It's got four reworks of heroes, Orisa, Doomfist, Bastion, and Sombra, one new hero called Sojourn and all overwatch one maps and four new maps. Now, of course, I don't, I'm kind of picking that apart and trying to figure out what the most interesting part of that is. And don't get me wrong, there are interesting updates. Obviously, four new maps coming at once, never a bad thing. Um, a new hero is always interesting in a game like this. You know, um, The ping system, again, a little bit behind the, the, the times. Um, a lot of other games implemented a feature like that very quickly. Um, hero reworks, reworks, always welcome. But again, like, and I know this is a beta, but what part of that sounds like a sequel to you? This Hero is, reworks yeah. and Overwatch 1 maps and a ping system. Like, I don't want to be too negative out of the gate, but it, it seems light. It, yeah, and, and you've got to ask the question. Like, I understand that they don't want to move too far away from Overwatch 1 because hmm. I guess they're worried about alienating their existing audience. But then the problem is if you don't move too far away and everyone just says, oh, it's just an update to Overwatch 1, I think you risk anyone who isn't a current Overwatch player just kind of ignoring it because they're like, oh, it's basically just a continuation and I haven't played Overwatch in years. Why am I suddenly going to pick it up now just because they've written a two next to it? Like, yes. It feels, it, feels like, it feels like a new season of Warzone, for example. If you're not already playing Warzone, you're not suddenly going to jump in because there's a new season. You, you, know, you need something to sort of bring you in. Yeah. And everything you've just said there, I think, sounds like new season of Overwatch. It doesn't necessarily sound right, like exactly. Overwatch 2. Like, which, uh, again, that's just sort of like one of the weird ways in which, um, uh, especially online PvP experiences, 
have changed over the years. And I'm not just right. talking about Battle Royale games, but I'm, I'm just talking about like online titles in, in general. Like yeah. the idea of new map introductions, new character introductions, character reworks, those aren't usually, but into this day and age, selling points for sequels and new boxed, you know, $60, whatever it ends up retailing for products. They like exactly what you said. They usually end up being bullet points on patch notes or new seasons or, you know, so much of that industry or the industry in general has trended towards this idea of let's keep people in certain e- ecosystems by continuing to update and support games essentially for free and then monetize the game through other means. That's the whole premise of Overwatch 2 sounds antithetical to that way of thinking and the way things seem to be trending. And do you know what, do you know what it makes it even more bizarre to me is that um, you would have thought that Overwatch, uh, you know, a Blizzard game, um, given now that it is Act- Activision Blizzard and Activision with Mo- with um, uh, Call of Duty and Warzone, they know that in order to sell more copies of games, they can't just sell Warzone again because it's just Warzone. So it seems like they package it with a single player campaign when they need to drop a new game. They know they yeah. need to do something extra. So then it begs the question, why didn't they do something extra? I don't know if that's necessarily a single player. Like that maybe would have been a bit clunky in the Overwatch. Well, there, there is the something, world, but- isn't there? Like there's some kind of a PVE experience that's a part of Overwatch Two, but I do, but is that um, I don't know I don't, how I don't, that all I don't think it's called a ca- I don't think it's being referred to as a campaign. No, which and we still need to see more about how that folds out because that could. Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that will be something that will bring in a whole load of new people. Um, but oh yeah, as, like as is like I don't. I really enjoyed Overwatch One for a time. I don't think I'll be picking up Overwatch Two from anything I've seen or heard so yeah. far. Um, I'm reading this here. The game will have a persistent PvE mode. Uh, These are similar to special seasonal events, which will feature four-player cooperative missions against computer-controlled opponents. Um, You can gain experience for the hero you use. Uh, You can unlock new passive skills based on leveling up. Um, Apparently, there will be a story-based mission mode, but it it sounds like a lot of it uh, is based on locations that you will at least be familiar with, whether they are exact copies of the multiplayer maps or sort of like reversions of the multiplayer maps um, and references here to waves of enemies. No part of it sounds like, you know, the, you know, the best minds of blizzards have kind of put their heads together and come up with a, like, hey, what can an Overwatch 2 campaign look like? It just seems like more cooperative PvE experiences to... And they've, they've dabbled with that in the past, haven't they? Because Yes, they have, yeah. They've done the sort of waves of enemies, special... Ca- special... Yeah, like, they did like Halloween shit and right. all that, yeah. So this, yeah, I mean, even that doesn't sound that new, um, like you know, box shifting. Um, yeah, which is, uh, yeah, which I'm, I, I think is surprising. I think they needed to really pull it out in order to, in order to make people think this was a, a sequel. For sure, for sure, it's it's an interesting one, and um, obviously, say again, it is still just a beta, and the beta itself goes on for another three weeks or so, and then there are going to be future tests, and eventually, console players will be able to get their hands on it. So this will obviously. You know, develop over time, and of course, it's constantly going to be worked on in the background. So we won't know for a little while what Overwatch Two is going to look like at launch, and whether or not it will do enough to kind of warrant that big number two um, at the end of the title and the price tag that's going to be uh, attached to the title. But that remains to be seen. Another game, Jonesy. Can also- I before you move on? Oh, can sorry, I, yeah. can I just say uh, I'm going to say six months. Six months until six months after Overwatch Two releases, that it goes free to play. See the did am I right in thinking Overwatch One never went free to play? 
I, I, don't, I don't know. I actually I don't, don't know. I, I don't think it went free to buy. At least, if it did, I, I completely missed it. Which makes me think that Activision Blizzard, <laughs> uh, true to form, um, are reluctant to give a product away like that for free. Um, but who knows? You know, if their hand is forced, their hand is forced. Remains to be seen. That's that's. What I think the difference is like Overwatch did very well when it came out. Like I think the the free to play would have been so far after the fact. Whereas I think if Overwatch two fails out the gate as a as a title to buy, especially given the free to play kind of titles that come out these days, because you if you're thinking, hey, should I pay for Overwatch two or should I just get a free to play game? I think that yeah, six, I reckon six months. Do you know what? Okay, I res- I respect it, and I largely respect it because I'm actually not brave enough to give a kind of a time scale. I'm just going <laughs> to leave it open ended. I'm going to say I don't know what the hell's going to happen with Overwatch Two. It just seems weird. Um, it does. Yeah, it also weird. And again, like not to kind of jump the gun, but we're going to be talking um, a little bit more later on in the show about the prospect, of course, Activision Blizzard's potential acquisition by Microsoft, which would then sort of bring in the question of like, okay, if that does go ahead and happens. You know, in a, in a, in a reasonable time scale, is Overwatch Two then a candidate for uh, Game Pass, and does that then you know increase player counts a significant enough amount that they can kind of sustain that for a little while? But we'll get to that when we get to that, I guess. Um, and I will also just say, actually, before we move on entirely, that if you have any particular burning thoughts on your mind about Overwatch Two, or better yet, if you have watched and or played a significant amount of the beta so far, please do chime in the comment section down below because. Um, neither of us have got hands on with it, and it's always interesting to hear from the folks at home, especially if you are a particular, particularly passionate Overwatch fan, and you have all kinds of juicy hot takes that we can simply steal and repackage as our own when we read them out as a comment of the week next week. You ate all of the comments are going to be from Chris. <laughs> I mean, Chris, it's a shame Chris isn't here because he usually has some interesting things to say about the world of Overwatch. Because I know he's kind of, you know, especially from the esports perspective, which he's been close to and sort of covered before. Um, but hey, maybe uh, I'm sure you know the the, the beta is going to roll on. There'll be plenty of opportunities in the coming weeks to get his thoughts. Um, Josie, you mentioned actually, um, obviously within the Activision Blizzard stable, Overwatch is not the only first person shooter that does the rounds nowadays. Because of course, you brought up the Call of Duty series uh, earlier on, and they made headlines today by essentially confirming the announcement that everyone knew was going to happen at some point. It's now real, and we have logos, and we even have a weird little logo animation. This year's Call of Duty is indeed going to be called Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And I don't know if you remember, Jonesy, but um, how many years ago now? A certain amount of time ago now that my maths won't let me figure out on the spot, another video game came out way back in, I think it was 20, 2009. Pretty sure it was 2009, and it was called, stop me if you've heard this before, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Yes. I've, I've An interesting I've choice, right? Yeah, not surprising after the success of um, Modern Warfare, the new Modern Warfare. It was just a matter of time, right, until they did but the second. Did, I, I did have Modern a, Warfare I don't know if this crossed your mind, but it did. I did wonder if, like, you know how Doom was like, well, we're not going to call this Doom 2, so they just came up with the word Eternal. Right. I did wonder if there was going to be some weird, like, Call of Duty Modern Warfare uh, going dark. Or something like dumb like that, oh, right. where they were like, "Let's not call it Modern Warfare 2, just in case." But they, I, they, all, they did that already, didn't they? They, or the, because they did the, they had um, obviously uh, advanced warfare, and then they had like 
infinite infinity infinite, infinite warfare. warfare yeah so they've they've you know but those were those were still just one word and then warfare right but then how many words are they going to stick so oh you were thinking it was going to go like modern warfare uh like modern warfare beta <laughs> modern warfare well, yeah exactly but with a more like hardcore punk rock word oh, instead of um instead of beta I mean, uh, Ubisoft aren't making this, mate, so, you know. <laughs> live yeah, exactly. with, live yeah. punk rock. Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, Punk Rock, Mosh Pit. Damn, what a <laughs> missed Clancy. opportunity. And then it would have yeah. sold. Tom no, Clancy's Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, X Defiant. I, see, I, I think a big part of the reason of just calling it Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2 is because the hype train off the back of Call of Duty, Modern Warfare was ridiculous. Yeah, and, you're right. Um, I think they think that if they drop... I mean, I don't know how well it did. I don't think... Um, the last Call of Duty did that well compared yeah, to. I, I think I think they've confirmed that Vanguard has, for most accounts, uh, underperformed. So I think for them, you know, it would be really good for them to have another like a, a, a bumper, um, a bumper year. And all they need to do is call it Modern Warfare Two, and then show some shots of uh, a, t- a house in uh, Camden with terrorists. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, see. I really hope they do another mission like that secretly. And then they'll be uh, laughing all the way to the bank. They just need the con. This I, I remember when that came out, and then you know we had all the uh, before the game release. Sorry, and they had all the, pr- the preview stuff, and you had the journos coming out, going like, "I don't think I'll ever be the same again." Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, what? What's, what happened in that mission? And they're coming out, going like, "I think they've gone too far." And then all of the news stories were. I mean, you could not do more to sell modern warfare to the public. It was it's like no Russian, right? It's this. It's no different right. than that kind of thing. Right. Um, so all they're going to do is put another ludicrously uh, controversial mission in. Yeah, oh god, it would be well because of course no Russian was Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two, the original one. So right, it would be fascinating to see if they do another like intentionally provocative, explicit mission. Oh, what's it going to be? Can you think about what it might be? Well, the rumors at the moment are that some elements of the campaign. Again, I don't know how kind of all encompassing this will be in the finished product, but they will be set um, in South America in kind of like a kind of cartel-y, sort of drug-busty kind of thing. Right. Well, almost, hearing the description almost gave me um, Ghost Recon Wildlands vibes, like kind of like, you know, jungle-y kind of South America as opposed to like, you know, Mexico-y kind of Central America stuff. Um, yeah, we'll see though. I don't know. Okay, I've got it. Yeah. There is a mission where you are part of a caravan going to the American, the US border and you and like you have to f- be a US border guard shooting at like refugees or immigrants like trying to come oh, to the border and you've got to like decide whether to and it's like they're coming and then you're going to like shoot them because it's going to be all like they're gonna try and blow us up, and then after after the it's all finished, it's gonna turn out that they were just just normal people that were trying to find somewhere to live, and there there was no weapons and no explosives uh, and no anything. To be fair, I don't think it's gonna be as on the nose as that, but I do genuinely think you've kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of what this game is gonna try and implement by way of choices and that thing of like, oh, you shot them, but did you have to? Which yeah. the the first one tried a couple of times. I think this one's gonna have a lot of those kind of like those panic moments where someone's standing there like, what are they going to do? And do you pull the trigger? And, you know, can you hold your nerve? Um, which well, is the, the big one in obviously Modern Warfare was, was it a woman with a baby? <laughs> yes. The, I think, that, that, am I right in thinking the woman at the, um, at the top of the Camden flat mission is, and like 
she starts scurrying away from you and it's like, are you meant to shoot her or not? And then when you do, you walk up and it's like the thing that she was going for was a detonator. Um, right, yeah, something like that. I could, yeah. And, and Price is like, you made the right choice. Bravo 6, going dark. <laughs> yeah, you, I can't... Yeah, something like that. I couldn't quite remember what. So it is like a detonator or, so, or a gun or something, isn't it? Yeah. But then, so they obviously love that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's definitely going to be some controversial stuff popping up for sure. But of course, beyond the uh, the campaign and the controversy, uh, the original Modern Warfare Two, obviously known for its multiplayer. Uh, depending on sort of when you jumped on the Call of Duty bandwagon, some people even remember it as sort of era defining multiplayer action. Um, which obviously Call of Duty and are going to hope to return to this year, and it will be supported, Activision officially confirmed earlier this week, with a new Call of Duty Warzone that is in development. Apparently it's been built from the ground up alongside Modern Warfare 2. So again, to confirm the reports that I think we touched on um, a couple of weeks or months ago, whenever it was, uh, it seems that that current version of Warzone that has kind of been strung along through Black Ops Cold War and Vanguard is so officially fucked and broken and like just like been dragging its heels for so long that they were like, what if we just made a new war zone? Um, and it seems it's, like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, it won't be. It might not be three hundred gig now to. Um, yeah, exactly. To inst- <laughs> just like bloated with code that doesn't need to be there. I, I do like the I love the idea that Warzone, like you said, got so bloated and so fucking disfigured that they were like, we just need to make a new program. Like we need to make a new application, <laughs> a new thing in the store. Like. Give it a different. Can they give it a different name, or like, what do you, what would you call? Mm. Like, because they've got a horrible branding situation where they want it to be synonymous with, oh, this is the free to play Call of Duty Battle Royale. But can you just release Warzone Two? I think you could. I think it's. I think it's known enough now that you could just call it Warzone Warzone Two. Um, I, I think they're going to go the other way though. I don't think it's going to be smaller. I think they're going to announce oh. that Warzone is now on the blockchain, and it's going to grow. <laughs> Uh, exponentially and it's going to incorporate every previous version of Warzone 1 so when it releases it will be a couple of terabytes but within say three to five years it will be ten times the size yeah it's just going to be a mammoth mammoth hey when the PlayStation 6 launches with a 50 terabyte SSD this will be an afterthought okay everything will be fine no you will only be able to put (laughs) Warzone 2 on to the PlayStation 6 it will take up the whole hard drive but you will be able to fit it yeah yeah well and that's the important part right but uh, Jonesy over the past and pretty much the whole time I've known you you have been you know something of a you've been a Call of Duty player if not always you know avid from year to year depending on how you feel about each title you know you've always been there or thereabouts, you always pick them up, you always give them a go, you always try the campaigns. Is anything about the prospect of Modern Warfare 2, either from the campaign perspective, the multiplayer perspective, or a new Warzone experience, does that excite you after what, you know, the relatively flat-feeling Vanguard? Or are you kind of, you on the fence? I'm not, I'm not on the fence at all. Like, will I get it? Yes. Will I play it? Yes. Will I play Warzone again? Maybe. Um, it depends. I'd like to see what a new Warzone experience feels like. Vanguard is the only Call of Duty that I haven't finished, um, if memory serves, which is surprising. Um, but I, I probably will go back and finish it. But yeah, Vanguard felt pretty fell pretty flat with me. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't a bad experience. But Modern Warfare was a was a really good time. The original Modern Warfare I think was one of my favorite. I think it may be my favorite Call of Duty game. Um, yeah. 
so I'm, you know, I, we joke, but I'm not, I'm not um, that averse to them sort of, you know, bringing the Modern Warfare name back, Modern Warfare 2 again. Um, I just, uh, I would, I would just like it if they leave the gimmicks aside and just concentrate on making a cool game. Like I've, I don't necessarily need all the controversy and the, um, the, the political intrigue and all of that sort of stuff. I'm sure they'll have to do it. You don't need a warning message at the start of the game saying, hey, do you want to see this game's graphic content? Because you can turn it off or just skip the levels. Yeah, like if, you, if, if you've got a level which at this day and age makes you need to put in a warning like that, then, you know, are you doing it because you need it in the game or are you doing it just because you want to be like super controversial? Like, yeah. But, but I mean, then a bit of controversy is not, not bad. If it's, if it's there for the game, if it's there because the game makes the game better, then fair play. Yeah. Uh, uh, stick it in. Um, I get. I guess we'll find out when the journalists go to behind closed doors demos over the summer, right? Yeah. Whether they come out crying, just we- this time, just weeping. They don't yeah. say anything. They're just like it's tears. Although to be fair, we won't actually hear about it because they'll have all deleted Twitter by then, right? They will have all deleted Twitter. None of them will be on it. So do you know what? We're, all we're going to see is the uh, the right wing takes on um um on it, which will be even more fun because if if it doesn't fit with like the. Uh, the right wing, the conservative way yeah. of doing things, they'll just be losing their minds talking about like, how outrageous it is. I should have been given the opportunity to kill more terrorists. <laughs> yeah, I, I reserve the right to use my gun during cutscenes because I'm an American and I have the right to bear arms. Although, do you know what I would love? I would love it if they, if Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 uh, the main, had like a main character that you play at who is trans and then I'd just love to go onto all the different uh, YouTube shows and just listen to the 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 little commentators just going mental. <laughs> like, oh yeah, just losing their shit. Continuing to be adamant that they are not anti-trans in any way, shape, or form, and they support you know trans rights, and yet they are bizarrely furious about everything related to that character in that game. That would be worth it just for the re- reaction. And then, like you said, that, that all it will be on Twitter because um, all the journo's game journo's would have left by then because Elon yeah, Musk, of course, Elon Musk is bad. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to find out what Elon thinks about Modern Warfare 2. Who knows? Do you know one one thing about Elon Musk that I thought was weird? The man owns an electric car company. He like single he single handedly probably made electric cars cool, which is like pro environment, and pro environment Mm -hmm. is like quite a lefty thing. Yet now Elon Musk is an evil right wing dictator. So it was because, but it was it was pro environment. It was also pro money. I think as well. He does like money. It does like money. He's, I saw an, he's I saw got a, a lot of it. Well, yeah, but it's funny. I saw a thing on Reddit the other day, which kind of like, oh yeah, I kind of wondered about that too, but I never know how to articulate it, nor do I rarely ask these things because I'm worried it makes me look like I've got absolutely no idea how the world works. <laughs> but like the weird thing of like, and you'll probably have an answer to this. Why is it that um, Elon Musk's money is always referred to as essentially not real money whenever people talking about his net worth and so on and so forth? But all of a sudden, it is real when it comes to paying for a website like Twitter. Like, like all the when people talk about, oh, Elon yes. Musk could be doing more. The people that defend him go, you know, he don't doesn't actually have like fifty billion dollars just in a bank account. That's not how the world works. And yet, all of a sudden, he can purchase something for uh, uh, over forty billion dollars. Yeah, because people when people say he's he's worth two hundred and fifty billion or a hundred billion or whatever he's right. worth. They're obviously talking about his total wealth, which includes the value of the company and how many. So they say, well, he owns 10% of Tesla. Tesla's worth uh, a trillion. So therefore he's worth 10%. Worth so it, he's yeah. worth like um, 100 billion or whatever. And then yeah. so people then, what they mean is he's got that worth. And in order to realize that, he'd have to liquidate his assets. Um, 
which is which ironically is what happened with the tax thing because people were getting annoyed that he wasn't paying more tax. They were saying, why hasn't Elon Musk paid any tax? And I think yeah, Elon that, Musk yeah. pointed out, well, I haven't sold off my assets. So unless I sell my shares, I'm not going to realize the cash value, in which case, how could I pay the tax? Because I don't actually have the money. It's all tied up. So right. then he, he actually did because a load of people said, yeah, you should um, pay. You oh, should. I remember this. He sold, a, he sold a shit ton of shares and he paid like $8 billion. Was it eight billion or eighty million or something? No, it must be more than eighty million. Maybe it's like eight hundred million dollars in tax, um, which made him the single highest taxpayer in one year ever in the US. Like he paid the most tax, bar none. Um, but when it comes to Twitter, like so, half of the money that he raised wasn't his. He raised it through uh, uh, investors. So he got. Oh some, right, okay. It was. Uh, I, I That's happening was, a lot with uh, the football club I support at the moment. Right. So they, yeah, they don't they don't necessarily front all the cash themselves. They they go and they they raise cash from other people from other investors, and then they, they get that. a consortium together. Yeah, and then I think he put twenty billion of his own money in, and then he put and he got um, a whole load from uh, other investors, and he sort of put that all together. Um, yeah, because like this is this is why. Although that's when you get the really funny stories of like this guy's worth a hundred billion, and then the next day when their company falls to pieces, it's like they lost ninety billion overnight. <laughs> they didn't yeah. actually just lose it. Yeah, but um, yeah, people like to try to do that a lot with um, by looking at like a video game company like market value and share price and stuff like that. It was like, oh my god, did you guys notice that Battlefield was so bad that EA lost three hundred million dollars? Yeah, it's like well. Of imaginary money, I guess. Yeah, of of um, value which they can just make up again in the next however long. Right. Yeah, yeah. As you can tell by listening to that conversation, I know a hell of a lot of, about money, which is why uh, I feel uniquely qualified to talk about matters such as ongoing investigations within the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, because Jonesy uh, releasing and developing games like Overwatch Two and Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two isn't the only thing that Activision Blizzard has been up to, because as we said earlier, they are currently in the process of being acquired by Microsoft, uh, which will make them a part of Team Xbox. And actually today, at the time of recording, Activision Blizzard stockholders voted to approve Microsoft's acquisition of the company. In fact, it was more than 98% of the shares that voted at a special meeting today, and they were in favor of the proposed transaction. But the reason... I mentioned the FTC is because there's a little twist in the tail, Jonesy, because while the um, the people who had the ability to vote at that special meeting were clearly in favour of the deal going through, the FTC still needs to investigate the deal. And Bloomberg, in fact, reported this morning that shares of Activision Blizzard are still trading at 25% lower than the $95 proposed, $95 proposed by Microsoft, which suggests that investors believe there's a risk the buyout may not happen. Um, yeah, because for, for, pe- yeah. for people that don't know what that means, it basically means that if you know that a deal was going to go through and you were going to get $95 a share, then obviously the shares would be worth $95 because people would know like that's how much they're worth, which means if you were holding them and they were worth more than $95 each, you knew you were going to lose money on the acquisition. If you were holding them and they were worth less than $95, you knew you were going to make like 10, If t- let's say they were worth $85 you were going to make $10 per share. So if you knew you were going to make $10 per share, you'd snap up as many shares as you possibly could before the acquisition. The yes. fact that they're trading at 25% lower um, than the $95 suggests that people that hold the shares don't really believe the sale is going to go through. Because otherwise it would be so you'd buy the shares. Why the hell wouldn't you buy the shares? You're guaranteed right, to Right, exactly. Money. It's literally um, like a, a public advertising of saying, hey, 
here's a thing that's worth 70 something dollars at the moment that will be worth $95 when this thing happens and yes. no one's buying it. And no one's buying it. Would, it would be like someone saying, I've got pound coins for sale. And someone's like, how much are you selling the pound coins for? 75p. You're like, you'd buy them. Yeah. But yeah, so this yeah. suggests that the, the, um, the people are not actually that sure this is going to go through. But which but kind of makes sense. That, like it's Microsoft, massive company. Activision Blizzard, massive company. When it starts to get to like antitrust and monopoly and stuff like this, it can get really weird and shady. Or it could just mean, to be fair, that they don't think the deal is going to go through anytime soon. It could mean yeah. that they think that there's um, a way to go before it gets signed off, in which case no one's in a real rush. Um, right. But, but you know. like you mentioned, you talk about antitrust stuff. I know there's been some speculation based on some of the reading I was doing earlier today that President Biden's focus on antitrust enforcement is one of the things that may be putting the deal under increased scrutiny. Um, I, I'm obviously, as I already said earlier, I'm kind of naive to all of this. Um, I kind of just go with the flow and read whatever the articles say. But to me, considering you know all the conversations that were had around it, how much excitement there was, you know, we sat here on this podcast for probably a few weeks in a row just talking about all the possibilities that could come around as a result of an acquisition like this, and all the the you know the franchises that could be resurrected, and the games that could have newfound money put into them. And so, like, it would be crazy, but uh, I guess not impossible, but crazy if an acquisition of this size that was being talked about for so long just all of a sudden didn't happen. And I know that's probably not that uncommon, but in gaming terms, it would be like, blimey, you know, like, just I think, I think it. I think it will happen. I just think the issue will, will be how long it will take and what Microsoft will have to do to alleviate fears around monopoly and, and competition and stuff. Like, for example, I'm pretty sure like weird stuff can happen when they say you can buy it, but you need to divide it. You know, you need to sell off this section of it or you can't own this and this because you already own another company over here um, that does the same thing and you can't own this many companies that all do the same thing when they own a certain right. market share. So, uh, yeah, from my, I'm, don't get me wrong, my understanding of this is not like um, that great, but from what I understand, it can just be that there's a lot of hoops to jump through. And so we're maybe more talking about time as opposed to like right. net, not necessarily saying that it won't happen. Um, but... Which- Hopefully yeah. it will, because everyone, well, because we like Microsoft, we don't necessarily like Activision Blizzard at the moment, so it'd be nice if... Um, I just, I just want more happen. games to be on Game Pass, to be honest, Jonesy. <laughs> like, uh, Best sitting here dealing to, gaming. Yeah, literally sitting here talking about how we're unsure about Overwatch 2. Please, just put on, like, uh, make my mind Game up for Pass. me. Yeah. Exactly. Make it um, easy. But yeah, that's something we're going to have to keep tabs on, obviously, because as Jonesy just said, it could be playing out over a significantly longer period of time than perhaps even th- first theorised. But one thing we won't have to wait too much longer for, Josie, in fact less than two months now, is what Microsoft, of course the company who are in a position to acquire Activision Blizzard to everything go ahead, um, is their plans for an E3-style Xbox and Bethesda game showcase, which we now know will go ahead on Sunday, June 12th, which is more or less the same spot that they have it in every year, so it's not that much of a surprise. But it is nice, given, you know, uncertainties around companies like Sony and whether or not they're actually going to have an event in time for summer and so on and so forth. EAE, who have, of course, uh, confirmed that they're not going to have anything this summer. Uh, Xbox and Bethesda still coming out with the old school E3 style showcase, along with Jeff Keighley, which is nice. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's nice to have something at least to look forward to, I guess, in that sort of slot, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And it also just feels like 
for as long as there's at least one big showcase out there, then other third parties or uh, you know publishers that might not be doing showcases or live streams of their own can say, yeah, I'll, I'll let a cool game be there if we're not going to do our thing. Kind of like with um, EA, for example, not having an event this summer. So yeah, like the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order sequel is just going to be at the um, May the 4th thing next week, which is like, okay, cool. You know, let's is make it- other... Say again, sorry. I was going to say, it's, it's also interesting um, uh, or cool that it's Microsoft who are doing it as well, because obviously as a platform, um, my, with game, not just Game Pass, but like Xbox being across PC, being across uh, console, if anyone else wants to just like drop their stuff into the Microsoft showcase um, as like a third totally. party thing, like we're still, you know, that might be a great vehicle for them. You're just going to end up with Microsoft basically doing E3. That's just going to happen in a few yeah. years time. Especially after they own Activision Blizzard, like next year. Oh, good, yeah. Like, because you're right. Like, when you combine the things they're going to have in house with their ability to go out and get third party stuff, like, it could be huge. I still remember being with you in LA in 2018, where Microsoft's press conference had uh, it had Cyberpunk, um, it had the um, the announcement of Dying Light Two, they had the announcement of Devil May Cry Five, they had the announcement of uh, Sekiro. Um, they have, of course, later go on to have Elden Ring and stuff like that. So, like, Microsoft have had big third-party reveals at these E3 summer-style showcases, and, like, if no one else wants to plan anything this summer and Microsoft just have an open-door policy, like, big third parties, yeah, come on in. Then this could be killer. Yeah, absolutely could be, really could be, which would be... Uh, which, hey, Game Pass continues to be the greatest ga- the greatest deal in gaming, and if um, if Xbox... <laughs> Uh, if Microsoft, sorry, also end up having the um, like the biggest showcase year on year. Like if E three never actually comes back, sort of like properly, then yeah. I don't know. You get into a weird situation where um, everything's on Game Pass. Microsoft is showing off everything. They're buying every company anyway that's making anything. So you end up just like this them just becoming the Goliath that we keep saying. Yeah. Like they keep winning. Like PlayStation and other companies need to do more, but. They do a lot of things right. PlayStation still have a like these huge tricks up their sleeve, which is that for as much as for as many nice things as I've got to say, and I have been saying about Xbox and you know their growing um, sort of stable of first party studios and uh, their commitment to Game Pass and so on and so forth. If PlayStation announced, "Hey, we're going to have our live stream the week after Xboxes," and it was fifteen minutes long and five minutes of it was you know, a God of Raw Ragnarok gameplay trailer with a release date that was this year, then without sounding like a dick, like a lot of the Xbox stuff kind of gets pushed to one side in my head and God of War becomes the um the dominant focus. But that that's obviously neither here nor there. Um I think that yeah, I think that's yeah. that's that's obviously true for um for us for like, you know, uh, certain games can just tip the entire thing, but I think on balance you get to the point where it doesn't even become a question. Of like, yeah, who was bigger, Microsoft or PlayStation? It's like, come on now. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Also, speaking, of, what happened? What happens when Ragnarok is announced that it's been delayed? Oh, Jonesy, why don't you put a sock in it? This is the second week you've come here sp- spreading this propaganda, okay? And I've, I've had enough of it. <laughs> God of War Ragnarok is coming out this year, twenty twenty four. This year, I can't. <laughs> I can't wait till a trailer with a release date drops by the end of summer and it, and the release date is this year <laughs> I'll let you have to get the camera yeah, in there. 
Let's clarify. Um, coming. Yeah. It's coming. Holiday 2024. <laughs> no, no, what did I say? February. It wouldn't be holiday. That'd be mad. Yeah, I think, yeah, February, I think you said I think Q1 2024. There are thereabouts, which I, you know what, I'm not even, I don't even want to think about it because it makes me feel a little bit sick. Um, what I do want to think about, though, is what Xbox could potentially be showing at this uh, summer showcase. Obviously, talking about the strength of their first party and the things that are in all likelihood coming to Game Pass in day on day one. Um, we already know that Todd Howard said in November that Bethesda uh, should be showing the next major Starfield revealed this summer, which is an exciting one because obviously a big title, big studio, still scheduled for a 2022 release date. So that would be a big deal if they get a nice, big, hefty showcase out for that. But a couple of other games that we could see, um, and I, I will say now that on this list, a lot of this stuff is much further away than actually being shown this year. But so I, I, I'd say this even actually extends beyond the realms of optimism. Some of the stuff just won't happen. But I'm going to say it anyway because it's a part of what's going on. You've got Ninja Theory's Hellblade Two. You've got Obsidian's work, Obsidian working on the Outer Worlds Two and Avowed. Rare are out there working on Everwild. I don't even fucking know what that is yet. The Initiative, obviously working on the potentially troubled Perfect Dark reboot. Arcane are out there working on Redfall, which we, I think we saw for the first time this time last year. Undead Labs still need to give us an update on State of Decay 3. Um, we have Fable, courtesy of Playground Games. And finally, Turn 10 have, for a long time now, been working on some kind of a reboot or some kind of a rethink of the Forza Motorsport series of the kind of Forza games, which I think we will see uh, this summer and potentially even be playing by the end of the year. And they've got a little bit of their work cut out because fucking Forza Horizon is a very good series of games, as it turns out. And Motorsport needs to find, I think, a little bit extra, um, potentially, if it can. But yeah, um, is there anything there, Jonesy, that kind of stands out to you as something you particularly want to see or you think we will see or you conversely you think is just absolute vaporware at the moment? I think the two things that jump out to me have probably got to be Hellblade 2. Um, I've been a fan of Ninja Theory for a long time, and I, and I think the stuff that we've seen of Hellblade 2 looked very, very tasty. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't quite believe a lot of it. Uh, right, what that they was said. The, was that the, the Game Awards, right? That trailer we had a bit of a back and forth about. Yes, um, yeah. The, the 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 trailers looked fantastic, but they were like, "Oh, this is totally gameplay," and you're like, "Okay." In the sense, I think it's gameplay, but in some sense, maybe not quite as free flow gameplay as you're sort of trying to sell it as. Um, the Outer Worlds two, I think, is uh, it's such a weird one. Outer Worlds one, I loved. And I've never finished, which I can't give you a reason as to why, but I'm, I'm solidly looking forward to the Outworlds too. I think um, uh, I, I love that style of gameplay. And I, when you tie it in with like the whole sci-fi thing, I think it's wicked. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not that, you know, State of Decay, Forza Motorsport. Left there, there's something here you're meant to say, Jonesy. Come on. Go on. It's Fable, right? I'm. I mean, fables. I'm not really a fable kind of guy. Uh, but it's fine. Like I know. I probably it. suppose. I'm probably probably supposed to say. I'm so excited about fable. I can't wait to see fable coming out. But you know, Jonesy, you could have unprotected sex and you could fart on demand. Yeah, so, it was the perfect game. So we Theory. were told. So we've been told, but I don't buy. It. It's yeah, not really. I will uh, say. But hey, I'll wait until I wait until we see fable and how it looks and whether it. Like, okay, I take it all back. I mean, and hey, you again. I, I, I feel like such a fucking. Um, How long like is being? When was the last sorry, one? How long? Fable three. Well, the last proper one was Fable three, um, which was two thousand and two thousand and eleven. Two thousand ten. Wow. 
Uh, th- there was other stuff in the middle there. There was a um, uh, a V, uh, not a VR, excuse me, a Connect game I think called Fable: The Journey, and there was also a cancelled game for the Xbox One called Fable Legends or something like that. Right, which I think was going to be like a four against one sort of like you know those what what's the term for them like the imbalanced kind of multiplayer experience. Oh, asymmetric. Um, a thank you, asymmetric. Like evolve. Uh, to use the uh, the game we always, for some reason, go back to. Because <laughs> it's a fantastic, um, asymmetric experience. Yeah, with it was going to be like a blend of like PvP and PvE. And like it's one, one of those weird things where there's, like, I don't know how far along it was, but if you go on YouTube, there's, like, surprisingly, like, well-put-together test footage of it, and it just never saw the light of day. Um, but yes, uh, Playground, obviously, of Forza Horizon fame, handling that Fable reboot, which... At least means of nothing else, there will be a big and lush open world to run around in, even if we're not farting per se. That's, that's the thing these days: is everything is open world and lush. The game that is then contained within is a question. But yeah. um, as long as it's open oh, world and lush. Did Did you watch that Unreal Engine live stream the other week? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, bro! Like I watched it, and all it made me think was that all the things you know how we've been saying lately about how it's worrying how much easier it's getting for people with no money and no development background to make yeah. unbelievably good. Yeah. I was watching that live stream and I was like, yeah, okay, great. They're giving people with no like background or money or budget whatsoever. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing, but like there's going to be so many games that look unbelievable and, but there's nothing to them. And it's yeah. already, I can tell you it's already happened. Um, I was on a, a chat the other day and a friend of mine, a friend of ours, actually, someone we used to work with, said to me, because, uh, you know, he kind of asked me every now and then when he hears room or talk about something in games-wise and says, what's the deal with this, like, Superman thing I keep hearing about, like the Superman game? And I thought he was getting confused with, like, a kind of a, like, maybe like a Suicide Squad thing or something like that. Right. I look it up. It turns out what someone's done is because um, Epic have released the city from the Matrix Awakens demo right. it, as an Unreal Engine 5 like project you can just download and mess around with. Someone's basically just downloaded that city as it is with all the, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the traffic Superman systems. In. Literally put a character in it that, that has Superman's like animation moveset so he can right. basically fly and like re- and screen and like re- captured that gameplay and uploaded it. And because it looks like it's set in a city that should have cost um, you know, a development studio <laughs> of five hundred people. $50 million to make. People are like, what the fuck is going on? Like, the future's here. It's like, no, one dude put Superman in the <laughs> Matrix Superman Awakens demo. That's great, man. That, but that, that is where we're at. Like, that is, um, that is the world that we have to look forward to. Like, it's the world of... No, I'm not, I'm not going to name names for games because I'm, it'll be unfair and they, they, maybe they'll be fine when they come Go out. KV. <laughs> but I'm not going to name names. But there, there are so many that are coming out that we've, we've, already, we've talked about before on the podcast that Look, yeah, look phenomenal, but I think in reality we're going to be so let down by. And one thing I do think you can kind of tell if there's one way you can get maybe a, maybe the, worry you in the right way and may, maybe give you a bit of a warning that the game is not what it appears is when it looks incredible, but the animation is off. Like the actual animation of the interaction with the world is off, is because sure they can get the world looking amazing, but if they mm. can't quite get the animation on the character quite right. You thinking maybe they haven't had the right amount of time and the uh, expertise in order to make everything work out. So yeah, um, OKV is one that's definitely to look to look out for. I'm really hoping that Black Myth Wukong is not 
one of those because that looks incredible. But... <laughs> yeah, that one fortunately has like the combat, which looks a little bit more you know developed and and functional than some of the other things we've seen. Um, like yeah, like, none of them, none of the, those examples that I think pop into our heads at the moment are going to be quite as bad as some of these kind of like you know freeware like weird sort of like hacky things like that. No, 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 was, not like no, no one as bad as like. Yeah, I've I've taken the piss out of Forspoken in the past for looking like a <laughs> like a tech, but like that game's I'm sure is going to be mostly fine. Fine, and it's it going to be fine. Yeah, it's exactly. Be fine. Please be but, fine. Um, it's going to be fine. But it also, you go back and watch that first trailer, and it's like it looks like they just downloaded like downloaded these super high res like terrain packs from Unreal, <laughs> um, and I just made a woman run run around in it, not even touching the floor. Yeah, just running in the air. <laughs> yeah, literally, she's just fucking hopping around half the time. What's but her then... power? She never touches the floor because she's so powerful. Ah, so you couldn't get the animation right. Yeah, so you've exactly. not bothered. Yeah, yeah. Her feet kept clipping through the ground, so we just made a hover of two feet above it. Like, the, and this is the problem. This is the problem you've got. So many people are going to get fooled by uh, Steam's going to have to be littered with games that look incredible, and you're going to have to pay attention to the uh, the user reviews because it's going to be like. This is the best looking game I've ever seen. Look at the reviews, mostly negative. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, exactly. This is yeah. not a game. This is a yeah. uh, tech demo. I'll tell you what, Hassan Karaman is rubbing his hands <laughs> because he's like, hang on a second, maybe I can make a game out of nothing. Mate, he's gone 8K already. He's already blown Unreal Engine 5 <laughs> yeah. out of the water. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, no, 8K. 8K textures. Yeah, God, we're all going to have to uninstall Warzone for that bad boy. Jesus Christ. Um, just, just for the demo. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Jonesy, look, I know we're, we, we've been running on, I think we might have even passed the two-hour mark now, but I wonder if it's okay with you if we can put a bow on this podcast by ending with just one more slightly different story Yes, um, that I want to rattle through, get your thoughts on, and then we can send both ourselves and the good listeners and watchers of this podcast on their merry way. Let's um, go for it. Cool. Because we talked a lot about Xbox and Microsoft thus far, there is one story that I want to pick up on coming out of the, the PlayStation world this past week, which was the the kind of the slightly controversial headline that made the rounds this week, um, according to Game Developer, which is apparently it's an outlet, not just a random individual. <laughs> um, the PlayStation Plus game trials, which for anyone that's forgotten, um, were one of the kind of the tiers, one of the perks that would be rewarded to people who paid for the highest level of PlayStation Plus coolness when that all gets reformatted and reworked in a couple of weeks' time. Those game trials will be required for games priced $34 or higher. And they and those limited trials must last at least two hours. The new policy won't be retroactive and will not apply to PlayStation VR t- titles. Developers will be allowed three months following the release of the game to release the time trial. And these trials must be available to players for at least 12 months. Um, it is also claimed that Sony will consider releasing traditional game demos for titles as, a, as opposed to the two-hour trial but this will be decided on a case-by-case basis. There's been a little bit of conversation as well, Jonesy, about where these trials or demos are going to come from. Some people at first uh, read this and interpreted it as the developers themselves having to set aside resources to make the trials or the demos functional. Um, There was some additional information that came out afterwards that applied that someone, like some kind of team within Sony or PlayStation, perhaps associated with the PlayStation Store, would organize or create these, uh, um, these trials themselves. But either way, the idea that every single new game that costs more than $34 having to have at least a two-hour trial 
seems kind of fucking crazy on um on surface level uh, yeah, as a you know as a first take right i in some way but at the same time like it kind of makes sense to me because it like and mainly just off the back of the conversation we were just having i think that one of the issues you've got nowadays is um games are becoming so much easier to produce uh that look good and that you know have so, a lot of functionality in them um that actually it takes a while before you realize a game is not what you thought it was or maybe um you know it takes you a little while to get into a game to realize well hold on this is i've been sold a um you know a dud here and so doing something like this you know makes sense let someone play the game for a couple of hours it also gets around playstation's weird thing that they had whereby they are really anti-giving refunds especially like obviously right, that's true if you buy a physical copy of the game is um you've got a bit more um, that you can do with it maybe if you've got if there's actually if it's actually broken you can like return it but sony had a big issue with um cyberpunk i'm sure everyone remembers when that came out and then people effectively said hey look i want my money back this is not what i was sold um sony did not want to give people their money back and then obviously took it off the playstation store for a long time um because partly because of that reason i guess the idea here is you would never have that problem again because rather than buy the game you get the trial and then if you play it and say hey this is not what i think is the game was supposed to be then you just don't buy the game so right yeah the, the one one thing that makes me think this is a little bit more reasonable maybe is that the company has three months so day one pre-orders, none of that's going to get affected. You've, you know, you're you're only really mopping up, um, yeah, players once the game's already come out. But then, it, then it kind of loses some of its, some of the purpose because then it's like, well, right. if it can come out three months later. That's it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird one, man. I'm a bit. I'm a it bit is torn. a weird one, and like you, you're absolutely right. Like in many respects, it is sort of a pretty pro-consumer move, even though it is, of course, being put behind a paywall by Sony themselves. Mm. Um, and for also, I, also for anyone wondering, it's unclear uh, how, if they do plan at all, Sony plan to kind of share these profits back with the developers. Because obviously, you know, in, in a weird way, this is developers being forced to give up a trial of their game and it's being hidden behind a paywall that Sony exclusively at the moment benefit from. But you're right, like, I just... I, no one knows at the moment whether all publishers are going to be beholden to this, but it does seem like on the surface level there are some publishers who are just going to be like, "No fucking way!" Like I'm not, no, they're not playing a two-hour demo trial of this. Like it wouldn't hurt them. Don't get me wrong, but for some reason I imagine Rockstar in my head when it comes to like the stubbornness of like, no, no one is getting a two-hour fucking free trial of GTA Six. People are buying GTA Six, and even three months down the line, and you wonder if Sony are going to have to have some kind of built-in flexibility to allow for like big publishers who can throw their weight around to say no but then of course when one person's allowed to say no then all of a sudden another publisher knock at the door and like hang on a second why do they get to bypass this it just seems like there's a potential for mess is what i'm saying i i know i think you're absolutely right like it you not least because two hours is quite a long time and if you've got someone yes. like um like rockstar i think like you said they're going to see that as like just messing around with their model. Like they want you to just buy the game. They don't want to mess around with giving people a couple of hours and deciding, you know, oh, well, actually it's not really for me. Like you bought the game, you bought the game, you know, they're not going to want to mess about. But at the same time, because it's behind a paywall, you've got to say, okay, it's going to be a minority of people who are going to be doing it and then yeah. playing the playing the the things. So then is that not just annoying for the developers in the sense of, They've got to put development time into um, producing the two-hour well, 
thing. That's if if they do, I guess. That again, there's been some no, chatter that they if, yeah. won't. No, they, I don't know if anyone knows for sure. Because then they're just going to lose money from it. Like even if PlayStation passed back a percentage of it, they're never going to make enough money to make it worthwhile at commercial right. levels. Surely, because because like we all know what it's like. Whether you've just bought something, whether you've rented something, whether you're playing at a friend's house, we all know what it's like to play the first hour or two of something and being like, ah, do you know what? I don't need to buy this. Yeah. And like, we've all felt that on games we have bought. We've all spent £60 on something, played two hours and gone like, do you know what? Like, I didn't need to buy this, like for whatever reason, whether it's like you didn't need to buy it at that time, at that price, or you just straight up not enjoying it as much as you thought you would, or it's just like not clicking with you for whatever reason. Um. Yeah, you've got to imagine like it will, in a roundabout way, almost lead to losses. And if there's any publisher that feels like, okay, we're welcoming losses at Sony's gain because they wanted to implement the new tier of their paid subscription service, like, yeah, that could be tricky. You also no, you also end up with a weird position whereby you, you could end up with, um, like, for example, let's say uh, uh, a third party come out of a game and they have to put up a two-hour demo of their game on on the playstation store you might end up people playing the demos just to see what the game is like to know whether they want to buy it even if they're going to buy it on xbox or pc like it might actually have a real impact on the developers and the the publishers because it becomes a free way of trying out games and i don't know if people would but like maybe people would buy a playstation just so they could test out like Nah, maybe that's too far. I, mean, I was going to say. It would probably be a bit too expensive when you consider the monthly fees as well. But in the days of like £70 games, suddenly it's, you know, like. Yeah, ha- like what, one example for me is like an, an uh, ironic timing because I know there's a patch coming out next week that will add difficulty options, but I wasn't sure about Sifu. And it was like, I wasn't sure about how I'd be able to ride out the difficulty curve. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to sort of like pick up the game's fundamentals in such a way where I could actually make progress. Um, you know, I wasn't sure if it was worth that much money. I wasn't sure if, you know, the price would drop or if it would be a PlayStation Plus game or there were all kinds of things and it led to me ultimately not buying that game. With hindsight, a two hour trial, which I believe I don't remember I think it retailed for more than thirty three Euros or thirty four dollars. It was right on the cusp, I think. But I think it was over slightly. Maybe thirty five pounds. So like would two hours have been like two hours of seafood? That's like a good chunk of seafood. Definitely give like, you enough to to experience the feel of that game yeah. and how it's going to play. And like it might have pushed me to buy, in which case that's in the sale they didn't get, or I might have reaffirmed my decision to not buy, in which case I guess there's no actual loss. But it it can oh, go so many different ways. I that, could immediately have told you what would have happened in the case of something like seafood. The game would have retailed for just under the amount needed to. Well, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, it starts costing $33.99. It's like, hey, it doesn't require a, a trial. And then there's DLC for five quid to unlock uh, something in the game. <laughs> the ending. You need to have. Yeah, the, yeah. the ending, yeah. Um, now, like, it, is a bit, it is a weird one. I don't think it's very well thought through, to be honest. I, in some respects, I like it. In some respects, I don't. It's strange. I don't think it's going to catch on. And like you said, it's behind a paywall. So I, I think at the end of the day, it's just going to become a, it's probably going to become more trouble than it's worth for, for Sony. And I think maybe they'll, maybe they'll knock it on the head. Maybe they'll just won't do it. Um, maybe. Well, it just get weird. Yeah, we will find out sooner rather than later. Again, I don't know when the sort of, uh, the trial stuff is all going to be implemented and when they're going to start making sort of rules around that. But the new tiers of PlayStation Plus and the migration over to the new way that's going to be structured 
is currently targeted for June. So um, I think it varies states across June depending on which region you're in, but I think mostly it's all happening in June. Um, I think maybe mid-June in the Americas and late June here in Europe. Um, and then we will get to see how smoothly that transition goes and whether or not it's worth jumping up a tier for that you know, that catalogue of downloadable PS4 and PS5 titles. Lots that remains to be seen, but not too much longer to wait until we get to see it. Yeah, um, and with that, Jonesy, that brings us to the end of this gargantuan episode of the podcast. Not actually gargantuan, but I say that because we hadn't actually gone over two hours for a little while. Uh, we have we've only just gone over two hours today, right? But we have, we've done it though. We have made it. Yeah, in fact, I, I I always forget when I look at how long we've been recording for, how much time we spent chatting shit at the beginning. Which you know, sometimes we you know go right into it. Other times we're there for way longer than we should be. So maybe the, I'll be very embarrassed if this comes out and it's like one hour fifty seven. <laughs> then I've really just I've embarrassed myself in front of all of you, and I apologize. It's all right, Jamie. There would be like three minutes of black at the end. <laughs> just to get exactly, it over the yeah. two-hour mark. I don't know who's editing this, but whoever's editing this, make it the world's longest end board, <laughs> please. I need to save face it. But yes, uh, that is the end of the podcast for this week. Uh, thank you all so much for watching and or listening. And remember that you can join in on this conversation and any future conversations we have. If you're watching on YouTube, you can like the video, subscribe to the channel, and leave a comment in the comment section down below. And remember, we are going to pick out a comment of the week ahead of next week's episode. You can reach out to us on Twitter. The handle is at SuperShowPod. You can support us on Patreon if you head over to patreon.com forward slash super show. So thank you all once again so much for watching and or listening. Jonesy, thank you so much for standing by. Um, feel, I don't want to jinx it, but it feels great to have you back in a more permanent capacity. And fingers crossed we're a full house again next week, eh? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, tune in to wait and see. It's going to be a mystery up until that point. We hope to see you there. All the best. Take care. I love you. And goodbye. See ya.